And welcome back to post-game content. It has been... We're on track. I'll just say that. We're on track. <laughs> we didn't miss a month this time. Uh, Max had no recording flubs this time. I had no uh, marriages or weddings or anything to go to. Max had more marriages, maybe? I'm still, know, I've Did only ever had again? the one marriage, to be clear. Okay. We this determined is, this last is sounding quite polygamous. Gonna... I don't know. There's like a million marriages <laughs> happening. Like um, we'll get into in, it in quick succession. So. <laughs> you don't know what you're here for, honestly. Yeah. We, we bamboozled you. This isn't even about <laughs> coming to you live from Salt Lake City. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, we made it a uh, a joke on last episode that every every month that we release an episode, there's Max will have missed because he's married or, again or something like that. So. Um, you know, it's been a lot of wedding planning going and now I I think maybe we're done with it. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So as you, there's a couple reasons this, this episode is very special to us. Uh, one, uh, we set out at the beginning, we told each other there would never be any special guests on post game content, uh, because we don't care about anyone else's opinion. True. Uh, No, that's not actually the reason. Uh, it was just the, the, the dynamic of conversation that Max and I tend to, to generate from these episodes has a very specific flow, and it didn't. Um, we didn't want anyone to feel like they had to try to keep up in conversation or have to feel like they needed to study for it, anything like that. It just flowed better whenever it was just the two of us. Um, that being said, um, we decided to break our rule, and uh, we have a special guest, and I'm sure you already know who the guest is from episode descriptions and whatnot. Um, I would venture to say an expert in the content we're going to be dis- uh, discussing today. We have with us uh, Jason Killingsworth of uh, Tune and Fairweather. How are you, sir? Hey, doing great. I'm excited you're here because um, obviously my love for Dark Souls has persisted since the game launched um, way back when, and it has it's hit some it's hit some highs and lows, but. One of the ever since the release of you died, um, it has probably been at a record and all time high, and it's just kind of persisted because um, the book that you had put out has it just I resonated so hard with every piece of that of that literature. So um, first and foremost, I wanted to say thank you for coming on, but also just thank you for uh, putting out such a, a masterpiece. Um, there's been a lot of books that Tune and Fairweather Fairweather has published, and that has by far resonated me with the hardest. Um, Thank you. And the, yeah, of course. Um, But the the reason I bring that up is because the level of love and how it feels, when you read You Died, it feels like, I've said this before in the Tune Tune and Fairweather Discord, when you're reading through that book, it feels like you're walking side by side with, a good friend just discussing the world and the things that you see and how you think about it, not the lore, not, you know, down to each individual plant, but just how it feels to walk, walk the world that Miyazaki created for us. And, um, the reason I wanted you to come on with us was because that's very much how we approach each game that we tackle here at post game content is just sharing the love that we have for it in the sense of conversation. So, 
Um, you died felt <laughs> felt like it was just an extension of like an episode of post game content to me. So I was like, let's make that. Like that would be cool because at the beginning, Max and I had said we probably shouldn't ever touch Dark Souls because we're gonna mess it up. <laughs> but then this opportunity <laughs> opened uh, itself. Then up we decided to us let's and... mess up a whole bunch of other games first, and then we'll talk about Dark Souls. <laughs> just think of it as like a QA tester. Uh, playing a game, your job is to mess is to try to mess it up, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that takes some of the pressure out of it. But I found the more that I that I the more that I chipped away at it um, at that game, it just it was this it was like mining for ore in like, the most rich <laughs> you know, uh, sort of mine mine where just anywhere you hit any surface that you chip off, there was some gleaming you know it was like the light that comes off the idol and in raiders of the lost ark it was just all this exciting amazing kind of background care and design um would just immediately burst out and sort of flood you with (laughs) this golden glow um so um i i always love revisiting it because i have that experience every single time I had it while I was writing about the game as as a journalist for Edge magazine, and then um, you know later after I left Edge and started working on the book, uh, it it was just the gift that kept on giving. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I couldn't. Uh, you know, I talk about in the book about this idea that I couldn't exhaust it. I was trying to. I wanted to hit that bedrock at the very bottom of the game where I'd found every secret. I'd explored every corner and. And I could just call it truly 100% done. Um, I had already gotten the you know, achievement, for, you know, the 100% achievement. But uh, come on, that's <laughs> that's only <laughs> just like age. That's only a number. Um, yeah, that's yeah. someone else's 100%. That's not that's not our 100%. Yeah, no, my 100% is like 100% of my of my life. You know, sucked into <laughs> sucked into that <laughs> into that game disc. Um, well, yeah, disc. It was a disc at that time. It was a different time. It was uh, 2011. Yeah. Oh, so thank you for aging us there. Appreciate that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you were going through like the original version, like you know when when Blight Town was. I mean, the biggest enemy was the frame rate, like way back. Oh yeah, you were definitely you were definitely battering, uh, battering. I mean, you were getting battered, um, mm-hmm. battered, yes. deep fried. Uh, you know, all of it, uh, <laughs> smothered, chunked um, by. By Miyazaki and his uh, his nefarious merry men, uh, yeah, it was Xbox 360. Was I think I reviewed it when I was reviewing it for Edge, like the very beginning before release. I think that was on the 360 as well. I was trying to remember if the the pre-release code was on. You'd do some, you'd do some on the PS3 and some on the 360 debug units. I think that one. Mm-hmm. I think I played that one through on. Uh, on 360 but yeah that was i talk about it in the chain of pain uh, chapter where i have all the different emails you know little quotes Mm -hmm. back and forth that we were helping each other through the game because there were no guides and (laughs) no there was no (laughs) nobody to help you there was no help coming you were really lost and and on your own so we had to band together to on an email thread to try to help each other get through the game so that we could actually write about it and review it, get yeah. as close to completion it's, as possible. It's funny to see a sort of microcosm of the Souls community kind of come out through those emails. 
um, you know, even pre-release, where I, I don't think this game could really function without the internet um, and, you know, the ability to be collaborative with other people. So to see that before, you know, it even made it to the public is, is really sort of interesting that it just kind of naturally prompts discussion and advice column and like just, you know, it's pretty clear that you're not going to make it through by yourself. You need a shoulder to cry on at the very least. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, you need somebody to commiserate with. And the commiseration was always, um, it was always, there was always a humorous edge to it because you were sort of laughing. There was a schadenfreude to uh, the experience of hearing about all of like where people got lost, which boss, you know, they fought with the wrong weapon for, I think, mm. Keza, my co-author, she fought the, it was, it, I think it was the tour, it was the Taurus demon. She fought with a dagger, like a broken dagger, some stupid yeah. like <laughs> weapon. She hadn't gotten any, yeah, she hadn't gotten a, a weapon level up as I recall. And, and so she was just taking tiny uh, paper cut, you know, slices at this boss, you know, taking no health off. And she ended up fighting it for, you know, spent like 10 hours fighting this one boss, like underpowered. Oh and goodness. so, but it's just stories like that where um, even as she was and sharing she immediately them, it speed was, run the rest of the game, right? Yeah, exactly. Because you've, you've mastered the, yeah. the combat at that stage from just beating your head against that one boss. Uh, and then you realize you know, in your second playthrough or somebody else says, oh, I just climbed up that ladder and like jumped onto its head and stabbed him <laughs> in the scalp three times and then he was dead. And like, oh, okay. There's a, there's a power in, in this uh, insider information or getting that, that timely tip from a friend or some stranger on the internet. Right. And, uh, and that's I'm part more of, impressed that's part that of the she magic. managed to, f- yeah, I'm more impressed that she managed to fight him for ten hours without him accidentally falling off the side of the the uh, <laughs> exactly. oh yeah the ramp exactly his there, little back so. hop you know just going through uh, going through one of those gaps on the on the bridge yeah that's that's true my 13 year old stepson is playing through it right now um, and he only died once fighting Ornstein and Smo and that made me depressed so um, anyway backtracking to Taurus Demon his first time he fought it he literally ran up to it and ran in, underneath its legs when it went to hit him and it turned around and fell off the rampart and died like <laughs> it's just like you just don't get much luckier than easiest <laughs> it's game funny. ever yeah because <laughs> that's basically saying welcome to Dark Souls but it's a different inflection that we generally say that term <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, some, so, sometimes the breaks do go your way. Um, Iron mm-hmm. Golem obviously uh, has a has a penchant for for hopping off the the edge of that. Um, it's nice of that him. elevated uh, <laughs> plateau you're fighting him on. He, he he likes to hop off the edge from time to time. So <laughs> really happy, doing us a solid there. Happy Thank days. There's <laughs> <laughs> not much brain packed in that in that suit of armor. It's a it's a bit hollow up there in the in the. He's doing his I best in the helm. there. That was a good, the good pun there, <laughs> the hollow pun. <laughs> yeah. Um, hollow, yeah. suck yeah. it, Max. I had to deal with yours all the time. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, there's just <laughs> this game is just so dense that, like, that it's hard to find like a good place to start. And I'm sure if you're listening, you're you're thinking like you know they're already talking about the the cooperative community effort like that this this game kind of kind of has. Um, but I kind of want to backtrack. I do want to get to that because that's a, a really crucial point. But 
I wanted to to handle this game and like a kind of how the game uh, I guess handles you in a lot of a lot of ways where you how it presents itself in the beginning um, what this game was trying to accomplish when it came out and kind of where what its baseline was um, so was it two years before this or maybe even a year or two but Demon Souls had released before this is it 2009 2011. The Western um, release, at least, I, I believe, was 2009. Okay, gotcha. So 2009 for me, <laughs> and then 2011 for this. So I had... Did both of you have experience with Demon's Souls before Dark Souls? Yeah, I, play, or was, I played I played through all of Demon's Souls yeah, before, which is why I think why I got the review assignment when I was at Edge. I, it was before joining Edge that I'd, a friend of mine had loaned me Demon's Souls and... I played through it and and uh, <laughs> figured out you know the the highs and lows and and what the games require and so it was there weren't many people that you could really throw that uh, Dark Souls throw at that game um, because if you didn't have some knowledge of how to approach them and deconstruct them and and know how to play them, you just wouldn't be able to get through the game in time to actually write a review. You, you might have two weeks, you know, on the, <laughs> on the luxurious end to get through the game and, and get a, your 2,500 words filed. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that's that, pretty tight for a first playthrough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I had played Demon's Souls. It was, uh, I, I, I had, um, I had that two hours of just playing the first section over and over and and not making any progress <laughs> and dying to, you know, the same <laughs> annoying little ghouls. Like, what are the, the, that first bridge in Boletaria, what are they called? Dreglings or something like mm, that. Yeah. Or dreglings. Stupid dreglings, like just uh, <laughs> slicing my carotid artery open, you know, for over and over for <laughs> two hours straight and just feeling like I was just spinning my tires in the mud and then finally started to make some very slow, very tentative incremental progress. And, and then, and then you just when there's that thrilling moment where you get traction and you start to really progress and, and it's so exciting. Um, cause obviously the dopamine is, <laughs> you know, coming in proportion to how stuck you were at the, at the very start. Right. And, uh, so you're like, wow, I'm, a golden god, you know. I I I made it <laughs> twenty steps without for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get cocky and then you get slapped down and, and you get humbled again. And I think I think when you encounter those levels of difficulty, though, that's what forces you to not only get intimate with the areas just because you're stuck there, but it gives you like that dopamine hit comes from uh, not only just finally conquering that moment, but also when you're encountering new challenges at every step the world unfolds itself in a very unique way in a unique way in a different dimension as opposed to just a flat map where you're just running through nothing's a challenge like a lot of games now it gives the game an opportunity to unfold certain areas at a very um defined pace that feels like it suits you as opposed to the game itself just being all open and available just at the get-go like it is in so many video games nowadays. Dark Souls has a, because of the challenge it presents, 
has the ability to unfold uniquely in that way like no other games do, or at least no other games like From Software games do. There are, there are other examples of it in games, but I think that Dark Souls could largely be credited for the foundation of that type of game design nowadays. It asks you to earn the progress. Um, mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of games that when your experience is accumulated in a, in a role-playing game just by rote grinding um, and... You complete a fight, you you know, you get your plus fourteen experience, and you know if it's an old turn-based RPG or something like that, you can grind your way through the game by getting strong enough just through that repetition. But but Demon Souls and and uh, and of course Dark Souls and the games that followed, it it said no, we're we're actually you're not going to get it just through time and math. You're mm-hmm. you're going to earn the progress through building skills and being paying attention, and and if you if you paid close enough attention and thought about what you were doing and had some basic you know mechanical prowess, then you were going to find your way eventually. It was it might be very slow going at the start, but but uh, that was powerful. Like that was that really was a and. It was a, it was a very, it felt good as a player to to be respected in that way, and mm-hmm. I think that's that's one thing that a lot of players talk about is they feel like the game trusts their ability, uh, trusts them to be able to rise to those challenges. And Miyazaki always in every interview I've read a thousand interviews with him, and he always says that like this is not for you know godlike you know gaming titans for the lobos juniors of of the world only like anybody with enough determination can complete the game and uh, and so that's why we included that chapter from uh, a, a let's play a youtuber called uh, k and uh, and she, yeah she was she just pointed that out so beautifully she had the determination and I think her her boyfriend or her partner had had told her about the game and then she's like oh i'll try this out and and she wasn't the traditional hardcore <laughs> uh you know get good kind of gamer but she just approached it with this really open curiosity and and learned what she needed to learn and just like learning a language you know with enough immersion and enough uh, persistence she ended up being able to speak that mechanical language that the game requires that fluency uh, to move through it and and had an amazing time and had the experience that we've had and i love that that it's open to everybody it it really is not a forbidding game it's not a uh, even if the community has has the gatekeeping impulse at times uh, you know any community any like can have that tribal sort of circle mm-hmm. the wagons and you know if you're not serious enough you don't deserve this game uh, <laughs> but uh, Dark Souls really is for everyone uh, that's and hopefully you died communicated that that there's there's something there's a reward there for everybody who 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 goes in search of it yeah I think one of the things that's really fascinating about Dark Souls is that even though it's not one of those more traditional action RPGs that you were describing that's very numbers-based, it presents itself like it is. You know, you get this, like, level-up screen with all of these different stats that we're kind of familiar with if you've played, like, video games before. And you realize pretty early on that, like, these stats don't matter 
as much as you might think they do. It is much more about your ability to to act and react as opposed to the sort of build that you put together. Like no matter where you dump points, you're probably going to end up with something that is going to get you to the last boss as long as you're able to to um, play it like an action game. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's we were... very apparent in the... Go ahead. Go, Jason. I, I was just going to say the cheesing that we were talking about earlier with getting enemies and bosses even to sidestep off of a bridge or... You know, there's there's ways that you can be, uh, they say, like, you know, what is it, like, to be lucky and good or, you know, to be, um, <laughs> but there are ways to, like, you, you can be good to a certain extent, but then you can also fall back on the serendipity of just a moment of good fortune where an enemy steps in the wrong place or, um, or you actually you know, cause that you set up that, um, misfortune for them and you can be clever and, and you don't have to just be strong. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like even, you know, just being able to kite enemies or, or separate them or bring them into, to, uh, environments that give you an advantage, whether or not that's stepping off a ledge or a more, more open area or what have you, you know, there's a lot of things that, um, allow you to play with the environment of the world to your advantage, which I think is really unique to the game. Definitely. What were you going to say, Michael, like a second ago? No, I was just um, speaking about how the game is, is really for everyone. And it's all about the, like the mechanical input as opposed to, you know, the, the statistics of the game. I mean, you have, you have people out there that are doing level one runs. You have people that are out there doing no hit runs. And, you know, if they're not leveling up, that implies that they're not putting any of those stats into their health or anything like that. It's just purely their ability to take something at base level and run all the way to the run all the way to the end with it. And the game, I think, in a way, kind of rewards players for playing that way because it gives them more of a challenge um, and allows them to get more playability out of a out of a game that, you know, it could take you 60, 70 hours to to beat your first time. But. Yeah, your second or third, fourth run, that time is just going to be decreased. So why not add the extra challenge? Because taking the extra time to figure out how to, you know, en enable the the AI of the enemies to your advantage is going to familiarize you with the game, allow you to, you know, look at areas in a new light and maybe even shine light onto new things you never saw before. Um, just to give credit to one of my favorite Souls creators, like Zuli. I mean, that's... That's all she does. She takes the game and breaks it apart, looking at things the way they're not supposed to initially be looked at to find out new information about the the environments and the you know the lore, the um, just the way the game can be played. Um, so, just depending on how you look at it and how you play, Dark Souls is unique in the sense that it enables the community to um, look for things like that to you know to draw new meaning and life out of it. So it's just a really it's a really cool thing you don't see very often in this in this art space. When I interviewed Lobos, he, his background, he worked for, if I recall correctly, he worked for BioWare uh, in Austin as a QA uh, analyst. And so he was, that's what he was doing was rolling up against walls, you know, repeatedly just trying to break the game, trying to clip through, geom you know, some of the level geometry of, you know, I don't, I don't remember what game he worked on. Maybe it was Mass Effect or, or something like that, but he brought that same kind of like problem solving to 
the Souls games, and that's why he ended up you know, becoming so adept at them and and ended up just doing incredible challenge runs, um, you know, as a result. But there was such a, like, almost that reverse engineering kind of enjoyment and mentality that that he brought to it. And it was so ripe for for that um, because it, it is such a, a fertile play space and there's so many, it's like so rich in possibility and there's so many different ways things can unfold. And so it invites this, this incredible creativity and how you approach things. And, and Max, you were talking about the the ways that you use the environments and that's always encouraged in the game explicitly, you know, plays with, you know, stretches and contracts the, the sorts mm-hmm. of arenas that you're playing in and, you know, those two bloody dogs, you know, jumping on you the, the second you... <laughs> we you, all know instantly. Immediately. Like, <laughs> I know. I almost, I like, I w- intentionally wanted to even leave out, you know, what that moment is because everybody knows. It's like just having two hounds, like, like lunge at you the second you walk, you start fighting, you know, this boss in a, in a broom closet, you know, this, this <laughs> tiny little arena. But, oh, wait, there's a, there's a staircase over here. Okay, so... If I if I come in here and just immediately like book it up that that ruined you know crumbled staircase, then I can get some separation, and then I can you know f- lure them up and then fall down and separate them, and it's so a the whole. I mean that entire fight is is exactly what you were saying. Is just okay. Here's the constraints. Right. What are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And and that's the whole enjoyment of of Rubik's cubing that thing apart and and figuring out the different angles twisting it about until you figure out how to get the the upper hand it's a it's a puzzle and what i like about it is exactly what you described is that you don't solve that puzzle just by grinding a bunch of enemies and you know making your your damage per hit go from like 10 to 12 that's not what's going to get you there what is is thinking about the the constraints and your strategy and then you know, screwing it up over and over and over again the minute you walk in the door. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And having the, you know, in, in many cases, having that, you know, that familiar corpse run, you know, back, back to that fight. And, and I, I, I don't have confirmation, <laughs> but I just feel like that was so designed to force you to think about your last approach and to spend, it's like, you're going to have two minutes <laughs> to get mm-hmm. back to this arena. <laughs> you have two minutes to think about what you're going to do differently this time. I'm very right. disappointed in you. You, you failed miserably. <laughs> you had this, the game, you know, just giving you that. I'm, I, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. <laughs> oh I'm, ju- I'm just, I'm just disappointed. Disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But then it also gives you the encouraging, but like take another crack at it. See, you know, try something different. Mm-hmm. Don't just replay the same strat. Uh, and maybe it'll maybe it'll go differently, and then it's it's very very satisfying when it does. Yeah, it goes your way. I think those corpse runs are so important to the Dark Souls experience. And when we were talking before about Demon Souls, I bounced off Demon Souls in a way that I really didn't with Dark Souls. And I think part of the reason is because screwing up in Dark Souls or in Demon Souls has um, a significant impact on your next run because things like healing items are limited or world tendency changes every time you die, which means that, you know, if you eat up a whole bunch of healing on a run and then die, 
your next run is significantly impacted. You have less resources and you have to be more careful. And it, you know, it, it hurts in a way that Dark Souls doesn't. Dark Souls allows you to get a fresh start. And the only thing to consider is, okay, I can beat my head against the wall as many times as it takes. And, you know, it's I'm going to be starting from the same place every time. Just that little bit of encouragement, I think, made all the difference, at least for me, um, between the two games. How did how did you get on with Demon Souls, Michael? What was what was your experience for for coming to that that Soulsborn template for the first time? And so it was. I worked at GameStop back in the day whenever this launched, and we were kind of unique in that every store in the West Virginia area is just full of a bunch of. Um, just Funko meathead Pops? frat gamers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. By the way, shout out to GameStop, our number one uh, 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 subscriber for this. Sponsored. Uh, they, Sponsored? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, big sponsor. You. Get out of here. Check out our, our trade-in deals. They're amazing. <laughs> um, so we, we were known as the we were known as the store that actually like People came to us because we wouldn't, it's like, hey, what's good on the system? You know, we wouldn't recommend the latest Call of Duty or the latest Madden or anything like that. We would, you know, we were like, check out this game like Demon Souls or like this this sleeper PS2 hit and, you know, stuff like that. So whenever Demon Souls had come out, um, it was you were like the hipster. You were like the hipster uh, record <laughs> yeah, store clerks yeah. of like try this old seventies B side from uh, Zappa. You know, like <laughs> the, we they were the McDonald's that sold spaghetti. <laughs> oh, no, no. But so what? What really drew me into it though was I. I want to say it was a Game Informer magazine just because we had them there. But I remember our whole store had like this article that was open to the game post or pre-release, and we were looking over it, and it was almost like how much agency Demon Souls gave you over like the ability to use swordplay outside of like a traditional RPG in an action RPG. It was like look how much like weight your swings have to them. Like you play any other game, it's like. You tap A to swing your sword. This game felt like, you know, you have the light attacks, heavy attacks, and there was there was just like a lot more of a connection with that level of like medieval design is what drove me in. Mm-hmm. And then whenever you start playing it and just get absolutely brutalized, there's a, there's two responses. One, the initial like, oh, you mother, I'm gonna, <laughs> I will get over this. And then there was the the secondary response of like. The breathe and slow down because this game will punish you if you don't. You cannot rush. And I thought that was that was just something I'd never encountered before. Um in any game any game type. So those are that's what really drew me in. But then as I got further on and I, you know, I encountered these bosses, um, let's just I'll phrase it like this. Revisiting Demon Souls now, whether it be the original or the remaster, on your your first run is one it is by far the easiest souls experience there is but back then whenever it came out and you don't have the ability to like recognize how the game play is structured that game i died more in demon souls initially than any other game i've ever played in my life like it just put put me down the surprises the like the ball rolling down the stairs the the dragon flying across the the bridge and just melting me you know, just surprises like that, just in the first area, just like, um, and I, I have to give the middle finger to Demon Souls too. How dare you make 
your first boss, like such an easy experience because it set me up for failure whenever I walked into the tower night and I was like, well, the bosses in this game clearly aren't that difficult. The game's hard enough and just get thwomped by a Found giant yourself under his heel, you know. In, <laughs> right. Uh, no time flat. Yeah. But you were flat. But, but yeah. Yeah. The, the the whole experience was, I mean, it was just incredible feeling that level of like even just with every, I mean, in every way, the weight of the game, like the weight of your character felt different, the weight of your movements, the weight of your attacks, everything had like it's, you could almost feel the statistic shift with like armor changes and weapon changes. And it, I had just never played a game like that before. And that that's what sucked me in. So I was, I was day one Dark Souls in the trenches. I had 1300 hours in Dark Souls on my PS1 or I'm sorry, PS3 when, and like along with my, along with Demon Souls. So, I mean, it was, <laughs> I had a lot of hours in those games, but it took me almost two years to beat Demon Souls my first time because I had a very, I didn't have an adaptability mindset then. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a, I have a sword and a shield and, you know, I need to, I'll use my shield to get through it. And it wasn't until later on and even all up until meeting Max that he's like, dude, just ditch the shield go two-handed and get better at the game. I was yeah, like, yeah, for real. I guess I will. And that <laughs> shaped the future of my soul's experience. Do you think that weight, do you think that was partly inspired that a lot of us um, like who are obsessed with you know, fantasy RPGs had poured so many hours? I know I 100%ed Oblivion um, and I, I don't feel like, I feel like it's possible to love the FromSoft games without harshing on the Bethesda RPGs, because I love those games. But but one thing they did have was that the way that the ragdoll physics like mm-hmm. performed in those Bethesda games was that like there was such a sponginess to the way that like enemies would kind of slump over when you would hit them and you didn't really you were you'd be swinging your sword and like you couldn't really feel like you were really yeah. hacking away at them. There was such a lightness to the way that the interactions between weapons, but then when you, it was like kerchunk when you play, when you went, when you played the souls game, you're like, Oh my God, I felt the like blade bite into the mm-hmm. shoulder of that like <laughs> ugly, you know, dude, I'm fighting on this bridge. Um, and there was, there was such a difference, marked difference between the two. And yet there was you know, you know, you had just, played Skyrim or, you know, Oblivion, like, you know, so in such close proximity to, uh, to demons or, you know, or dark souls, whichever game it was. And so I feel like there was also, it, it almost benefited from that comparison, just to that lighter weight style of, of combat and the feel of feel of combat, a bit floatier, a bit lighter, a bit yeah. slumpier. Well, it, I think a lot of that also has to do with the amount of work that, uh, from software has put into their animations. Where in both Oblivion and Skyrim, you know, it doesn't feel like you're making much of an impact on something until it keels over and dies, you know, and then it feels floaty and the illusion is kind of broken. Um, You know, you can't get something as wild as like the pancake animation in Dark Souls, which has to be one of the most satisfying, (laughs) like, just moments. Which is the pancake? Which is the pancake animation? Oh, the pancake is like uh, if you have a a two-handed hammer or something and you bring it down. Where it just immediately flattens the guy into the ground, and you get a uh, yeah, like, they just immediately go f- like mm-hmm. when they're laying down, just sprawled out. Like, it is such a yes, yes, oh, that is perfect. Yeah, yeah. you feel that. But, you feel that in your plums uh, for sure. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I'm always kind of. I I think that's something that I look for in a lot of action games now is that sense of of weight and impactfulness. Um, 
because now Dark Souls has ruined me for anything else based on, you know, animations like that. Yeah. 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 The feel like the feel is, is everything. I mean, it's incredible how I, I love that you brought up that I'm kind of mad at you for getting, getting there um, before me, but yeah, I, I just, the feeling of weight of, of the game, I think is one of the things that just adds to the, it adds to the gravity and the, the, the sober beauty of the world and like the stone has weight. I, I mean, it's mm. one of those, it's all those small choices that add up in aggregate to the timeless classic that the game is things like you're like fighting in a narrow hallway and your sword like clinks off the wall mm. when you swing it. If you're not stabbing and you're trying to swing some big claymore, you know, his Vihander or something, um, <laughs> you're just not going to get that thing around. It's going to hit the wall and, and it's all of the, you feel everyone's the, picturing the depths right now, right? It's not just me. <laughs> I was in the, I was, yeah, I was in yeah. the depths fighting some yeah. slime in a hallway. I know exactly like, what yeah. hallway you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's some little ambling, you know, mm-hmm. dude with a, with a torch and, and some little spike slime <laughs> falling off, a, you know, under your head. And, um, exactly. Like in those, in those exact little gutter, you know, sort of gutters, um, you know, in the depths, uh, but you feel the concrete of that wall and the world feels solid and it and it does not feel like a studio backlot where there's you know two dimensional paintings you know creating a world like you, mm-hmm. it it absolutely plunges you immerses you in that fantasy and and every part of it does um it it was more immersive than that any game gaming experience I've ever had. And I think we're, we're still, you know, chasing that dragon, (laughs) so to speak. And, uh, yeah. And it's just hard. It it is hard to get the, the same kind of high, the same kind of immersion, um, in other games. Uh, they really did perfect, you know, incrementally, but so quickly got to a level of, I mean, immaculate you know kind of uh mm. you know it's using words like perfection is you know is always a bit overblown but but yeah they just did such a good job of it that uh, yeah it felt amazing th- it felt it felt real i think part of that immersion comes from from soft's willingness to let you miss things you know there isn't a lot of signposting in dark souls which makes it feel much more like a fully realized world it's not you know a set of linear pathways for already laid out for you. Um, and that's a, I think a creative risk that a lot of developers, which fair enough, you know, if you've spent so many hours putting this, this whole environment together for, for players, you want to make sure that they don't miss that. But, um, you know, Hey Nate, there's a tile sticking out on the floor over here. Come check it out. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of shit. (laughs) Cool. Thank you. It pains me. Contrast that. Contrast that with putting an illusory wall wall behind an illusory wall. Uh, Like that. Come on. (laughs) One. You've ruined me forever doing that. You have to know that. Now I need to hit every wall, and even after I. Is that a Tiger King reference? (laughs) I'll never recover from this. I'm never gonna emotionally (laughs) recover from this. You've ruined me forever. Yeah, yes, that was that was evil. That uh, that that little Ash Lake or the Great Hollow, um, you know, mm-hmm. sort of moment was beautiful. I had to be pointed back to that. I had I had completely missed it, and 
It's like they're Ash Ash Lake Ash what what Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I never found a lake. I've, what are you talking about? I would be remiss if I didn't comment. I know we've we've kind of brushed past it, but I had I've just it's been sitting in my head talking about like the weightiness of the game. Um, one of the things that about this game that always especially when we were comparing it to Skyrim and just any other game at this at this point. One of the things that always like really stuck out to me in these Souls games is when you're fighting an enemy, whenever you like you're going back and forth and you're getting these hits and you deliver the final blow, there's like that satisfying like little sh- like noise that allows you to like mentally move on from that enemy. Mm. I think more video games need that because <laughs> that is like it is like a mark of success whenever you hear that. It's I don't know. I don't even know how to describe what it is. Are you talking about is, the sound just, of like the souls? Um, yeah. Like when you, the the whoosh of the life force exiting the Yeah, like the, the when you deliver the last blow and it's, yeah, it's like a, like, oh, I don't even know how to describe yeah, the noise. Kind of a but whoosh. Yeah. It's, it happens anytime you kill an enemy, no matter yeah. how yeah. big, maybe, maybe some bosses don't have it, but I think they even, I think they do. But, um, I, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's a really, uh, like a tangible mark of success that you have outside of just um, it. Like for me, whenever I hear it, it allows me to just move to the next thing. And whenever you don't have any like mark point to just to move on, I feel like it's it makes it a little less impactful. Um, Are we done here? Whenever or you complete is there still something. something? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, even though it's like lifelessly like you know t posing on the floor or something like that, it's like I know it's dead. But just hearing that, I don't need. It's not the actual animation that I need to see. It's just hearing that sound and being able to move on is much more important to me. So just it adds to like just to the weight of the combat altogether. But that, that's something that I just really enjoy about Souls games as a whole too. So yeah. There's um, a lot of talking about the, Oh, go ahead, Max. I was just going to say there's a lot of like almost invisible kind of feedback that the game gives you that is very encouraging. Um and it, you know, contrast that with the things that it does to throw in your way which are very apparent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it it it's it is not stingy with its rewards. Mm-hmm. Uh and and that moment that whoosh of the soul, you know, the soul's exiting that slain enemy's body or whatever that sound that's just what i imagine that sound to be was almost like the last gasp of their life force transferring into you and and absorbing those souls uh but but that's a really generous um i mean it's not a a pop cap style little mobile game confetti pop you know when you uh you hit the hole in one but it uh it is a reward and and so you could see that as an encouraging, as as just a like nice work, keep going, nice work, keep going, uh, a little a little helpful like clap on the back of well done um, to send you on your way. And and so thinking about it in that way, it 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 recasts that really like from software the design as being this this really curmudgeonly, like it hates you. You People would always, you know, <laughs> uh, some, some commentators on the game would like, this game hates you. It just wants you to suffer. And, and I feel like it's just, it, it is very encouraging. I love that word you used. Like it, the game is so encouraging in, in little feedback, mm-hmm. little moments of feedback. And it celebrates the small accomplishments. I mean, it doesn't throw, you know, 
victory achieved on the screen after, you know, <laughs> every enemy, like, you know, it keeps some of those more elaborate celebrations for those big key boss, you know, felling a boss moments. But, but yeah, but it has little small uh, victory achieved sound effects and things yeah. that, it, that it offers <laughs> up uh, pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. It's been a, it's a common, it's something Max and I have talked a lot about, but it's uh, when you're talking about Dark Souls, which ironically enough seems to have coined the common phrase of get good. But like when you talk about Dark Souls and the core community of Dark Souls is probably one of the only ones that uses that phrase like non-ironically. Like when I tell people who are playing Dark Souls to get good, I'm saying get good. G-E-T, not G-I-T-G-U-T. Like the game is encouraging you just to stop focus, think about what you did wrong and get better because it wa- yeah. it wants yeah, you yeah. to get to the end. It wants you yeah. to yeah, yeah. to make the the choice. So I and I think that you know you can you tangibly feel that way the further you go on in a game. And I use I use Daniel, my brother, as an example when he was playing through it. You know, he would constantly hit these roadblocks and you know this 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 is too hard. This is ridiculous. And I I just don't even want to go on. I'm like just well, what how what'd you do? Like, go on, let me see, let me watch you play. Let me let me help you analyze the situation. And eventually got to the end and you know, he overcame it and absolutely adores the game. So it's just little the game, like you said, it just encourages you and it wants to it wants you to close the credits on the game. Like absolutely. Yeah. It has think, a tough love but, kind of mentality. Um, which <laughs> which is which is nice. I think there's um there like uh, culturally there is, you know, the, culture is always a pendulum and it swings back and forth but i think from you know maybe the the 80s and that and that real like positive affirmation kind of moment where it's like all kids need to to do to succeed is to be told how amazing they are 24 hours a day <laughs> and uh and then they'll just embody that and this kind of unearned adulation all the time of you're amazing it it doesn't it doesn't matter you know what you've accomplished, like you're just incredible just for being the special you that you are. Um, and, and I feel like souls, <laughs> it, it says you can be amazing. Like it has this disposition towards the player of you can be amazing. Um, but you're not right now. And, and you're going to, you know, we'll try to give you feedback to steer you on the path. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is this kind of, you know, dad loves me but he's also you know he's also a bit of a, he's got he's got a stern you know kind of unforgiving you know um sort of angle to him as well where he's not gonna give you the free pass like you're gonna have to you're gonna have to do the work but then you also but then you get the reward for yourself because you got to rise to the occasion and, and i kind of like that it's a little bit it's uh from software being a little bit countercultural and um a little bit against the grain and that that paid off you know, pretty spectacularly for them uh, yeah i feel like the game doesn't even go out of its way to really even um you know hide that fact because if you you look at the conversations with the npcs at the beginning it's no one's there telling you like oh you're it you're going to be amazing everyone's talking about your potential they're talking about you know you're you're you could be it but who knows you know it's 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, we're just going to have to wait and see. So the game even <laughs> yeah. goes out of its way to just tell you, you know, you could be awesome, but you could also just suck and die and be hollow like, like the rest and of And the us, NPCs so. are constantly Which is tackling at you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah I think that's like, actually... See your body around the next bend when you, uh, <laughs> you are, are like, you know, crow food or whatever. You mm-hmm. know, they're, they're always very encouraging, the NPCs in those games. There is kind of, I think, a, a sort of, weird sort of encouragement by, you know, I'm thinking particularly of um, the guy in Firelink Shrine who, you know, the first thing he says is, you know, well, you'll be hollow just like me. And, you know, <laughs> this is maybe our biggest naysayer in the game. And look how fucking sad this dude is. He doesn't go anywhere. He sits down and goes, halt. Yeah, yeah, he's crestfallen, man. Yeah, like, exactly. Base, it's, it's, he's, I think it's Dark Souls kind of saying, like, you don't have to listen to guys like that. They're not doing anything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this. Look at this chump. Like, Look sitting at this, around yeah. feeling sorry for himself. He doesn't have a, you know, he doesn't have a Drake sword draped over yeah. his... Uh, <laughs> Sort of this friggin' and, you know what that guy is? He's a he's a hard earned thousand souls. That's all he is. <laughs> <laughs> hard earned thousand souls. Um, <laughs> Hello, my name so, yeah, is I mean, Hard earned the, Thousand Souls. <laughs> um, I, since we're talking about Firelink Shrine, I would be remiss. I mean, we already kind of talked about the the world itself. Um, Max and I have talked about this when we talked about Odin Ring. We talked about this just in passing uh, probably a hundred times. But I think one of our favorite things about Dark Souls is the world itself. You're walking through it as if you just missed the world's biggest events by like 20 minutes. And everything is just dead or or in the process of dying. And the people that are left are in the same state of like mental shock that your character is in um, other than Solaire, oddly enough. Um, but I mean, it's just that, that level of like morose abandonment is just so persistent from start to finish. And there's never, I feel like the game strives to, you know, put you in these little moments of connection between these NPCs or, you know, just between the the shifting realities of the other people experiencing the same world via the uh, the uh, multiplayer and or just co- online community aspects of it. But it never feels, it feels completely alone, but always like sort of connected in a strange way. It's just, it's a very... I don't, there's like a weird juxtaposition in how, you know, Dark Souls presents its its world um, and allows you to find just the little moments of connection that are just enough to to make the world feel completely alive yet completely empty at the same time. And being able to capture that without, you know, you're, if you go online and read about Dark Souls, no one says this game is boring. No one says it's crowded. No one says that there's too much conversation. No one says that like you just spend too much time running running down hallways. Like it's just it's just a balanced narrative and a balanced world and how you're experiencing it from start to finish. And I think that that's a you you are hard pressed to find games like that in media. You know, even today. You know, twelve years later. Have you heard of the phrase cozy apocalypse? Um, I think that's, I think I have the term right. I think I'm remembering it correctly, but. Do you say cozy apocalypse? Co- cozy apocalypse. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It I mean, was, that's, that's what we live po- in every day, effectively. <laughs> <laughs> it, but, it, but it is, it's pointing to this idea 
um, it was coined in I mean decades ago, but it it points to this idea of like the apocalypse being a somewhat reassuring moment because you know the neighbor who complains about your dog or you know when you mow your lawn or like your grass or you know what color your house is and all like all the annoying people have vanished <laughs> and uh, been sort of wiped <laughs> out by the meteorite and and there's like a coziness and a quiet and it's like finally i can hear myself think I don't have, you know, there isn't like aren't radio like advertisements, you know, blaring everywhere, and um, you know, social media is, you know, like the electromagnetic pulse has like wiped out all the social media platforms, and so we've got our attention back. And um, but I it cut that that phrase popped into my mind when you were talking about the the world of Lordran as being almost this, this sort of introverts paradise. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, it's quiet. Like they don't even throw music over every, you know, area. Like there's a lot of moments. And that was one of the things that jumped out to me at Demon Souls. I was like, I can, it's like just wind and you're at right. Boletaria Castle and there's no soundtrack and there, it's not triumphant and it's not like, you know, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> there's, there's nothing heroic about it. You're just sitting there and she's like, it's just, there's just some carrion bird circling in the air waiting for you to, you know, to fall so that he can, you know, get you know, have lunch. And, and that's, that's the equivalent of, of the sound design, but it was so powerful because it was so quiet and it, it really did created this space for you to, it wasn't telling you how to feel about Mm -hmm. your experience. It was, it was really leaving it wide open. And, and so I think that is another, another thing that was, it was very minimalist and, but you could call it empty, but you could also just call it calm, like quiet and uncluttered. And those are, I mean, you could be talking about the design values of, of Steve, of a young Steve Jobs, or you could, uh, you know, the, the fact that something isn't perfect when there's nothing more to add, but when there's nothing left to take away that, that kind of design maxim and, uh, and FromSoft like shares that value in a, in a lot of ways, where they yeah. strip a lot of needless, like just received wisdom and like the the clutter of well, this is how games work and this is what you have to do. There was a real. I feel like Miyazaki brought a real beginner's mind to the design of of the game, where he he almost like allowed himself to forget about how you're supposed to make a video game and it started from first principles and was like okay well what type of experience would i like to have and and he allowed himself uh, and he allowed his designers to to rethink a lot of things and just and start from a very pure place um and who knows maybe that's because he uh, now i'm just like riffing speculating but he loved the fighting fantasy books and he was um, really inspired by Tolkien, and he's obviously incredibly enamored, you know, with with George R. R. Martin's you know fantasy work. And so, if you come from a literary standpoint, rather than like I'm just taking all of the the video game like 
RPG, you know, action RPG experiences I've had and then repackaging them into a new form without thinking, like moving without discarding anything, you know, like just bringing all the same junk, you know, emptying out the attic and just bringing all the same junk over and then just setting up your house in the right. same unthought out way. Um, I love that. I it just, uh, I think that's, that's a real credit Tim, and it's. I think it's something that if people are listening to the podcast and think about what can I take from Dark Souls and in a practical way, just to the games that I'm designing or um, whatever creative project it is, it takes a, a conscious, a deliberate effort to do the work of thinking originally. And it's very easy to learn to speak a language in only cliches. Mm-hmm. Because it's easier, it's it's just regurgitative, um, and so it takes a lot of deliberation. But the the result is feels so fresh <laughs> because um, because it feels new. It feels um, it feels unfamiliar and alien, and and um, and I think that's what was so arresting. I'll just speak for myself. I mean, that's what was so arresting about Demon Souls for me, and it 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 looked. It was a beautiful paradox because it looked so familiar. All of the trappings were dragons and knights and mm-hmm. armor. The most stereotypical <laughs> fantasy signifiers of right. you are in a fantasy world. The very first stage, there's a dragon over there. Um, even in Dark Souls, like you've got the flyby, you know, when you're before mm-hmm. you get up to Undead Berg. Um, it's like, here's a dragon. Uh, I think I've made the joke before, TTD, time to dragon. It has to be at a certain <laughs> low enough threshold where people know that they are, in fact, in a fantasy world. Um, and it ticks all those boxes. But then so many other things, it's uh, just, it pulls the rug in this in this really fun, um, playful sort of way where it, it subverts, it sets you up um, mm-hmm. only to subvert all, it sets up all the expectations and then subverts them all, like, just um like knocking down dominoes it's um and that's what that's what makes it feel so fresh and dark souls like for me it's just still the it's the apex i mean there's a very there is a reason why uh you know abyssal archive the tune of fairweather set is it's as elaborate and as many it's two volumes it's got the companion map it's in the slipcase it's i I wanted to throw the kitchen sink um, sort of at that project uh, to <laughs> because to show my love and my appreciation. Uh, obviously, you know, the the book is Loki's, you know, creation. We just, you know, created the the packaging of it. I mean, all the all the words are his. And so I don't want to steal any of the credit. Um, but I wanted to present his project is in as immaculate a way as as I possibly could, you know, with our designer Andrew's help, um, because I feel like Dark Souls is such a unique achievement, and um, I'm glad we're talking about it. I mean, frankly, I get very sentimental. I mean, you can even hear like the way I'm talking about it's like, oh, it just got real serious here. <laughs> like, um, but that is how I feel about it. Um, you know, I've dedicated, I've literally dedicated years of my life to thinking about the game, to, uh, to writing about it for a period of time. And then to, and then now to, you know, publishing books about the game, because I feel like there is, 
I, I just feel in tune with the values, with Miyazaki's design values, with his appreciation of narrative, with his, um, his very interesting, like conflicted approach to like ideas of heroism and good and evil. And, um, it's, he's, he really did. He has, um, along with his teams, uh, who've worked on these games created like something timeless and something that I think is worthy of all of, you know, like you talked about 1200 hours in demon souls and, you know, I, I'm so glad that I have not kept track of the counters, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you, like before we started recording, you were you giving me a little bit of stick for, I, I don't know how, how many times I played the games. I think it's, I've played through dark souls, you know, maybe seven or eight times, you're like only seven or eight times. Um, it was like, well, you just didn't long, realize we'd be dealing with a scrub computers. today is all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, exactly. I didn't realize we were talking to little Johnny two shoes, um, you know, sort of as our guest, uh, today, but, but yeah, it's, I mean, the, the amount of time, like if you count all the time thinking about it and then all the time writing about it, in addition to actually playing it, I mean, it's, yeah, you are talking about, you know, over, a, you know, a thousand hours probably. Sure. Um, but like, but what a glorious thing to like revel in um, mm -hmm. and to devote that. It is just pleasurable as a human being to love something that much. You know, and for some yes. that's for some people that's the band or that's the Rolling Stones or it's just, you know, whatever hit them at that moment in their life where they just needed something to transport them out of the humdrum and 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 just show them, blow their mind in some way. And and for me that, you know, that came in my in my thirties when, you know, I'd like shortly after my thirtieth birthday when when Demon Souls, you know, when a friend loaned me that PS3 copy and <laughs> Uh, and then, and then Dark Souls, and then being at the right place and the right time to get that assignment and be in a position to, you know, to get to interview Miyazaki on, on several occasions. Um, it just, it really is a, you know, pinch myself uh, kind of, kind of experience. And so it's fun. I always love going back to, I never, ever feel bored or, um, you know, automated when I'm, when I'm talking about, it. I'm always animated. I'm all, I always, I always feel it. And it's, it's yeah. fun. Well, it's hard. I, I think everybody develops such a personal experience with the game, you know, because um, it subverts a lot of narrative expectations because all of these major characters that you're introduced to at the beginning of the game, like there's their narratives done by the time you start. Right. So it's up <laughs> to the player to sort of, decide how they interact or how they feel about all these different events that have transpired. There's such a sense of history in Lordran. And, and you know, as you uncover it, it's hard not to get personally invested in a way that isn't directed by the game in any sort of way. Um, and I think that's what, what gives it such a, a place, at least for me, um, you know, when you're so isolated it, and the game does an incredible job of creating a sense of isolation you yeah. you really yeah you have to define your own experience you know your brain can't help but start to make connections on its own when you just sit have to sit quietly with your own thoughts for a while you know 
So true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It gives you space. It, like, it is that, that space that it allows for you. Um, even if it is that, you know, that two minute corpse run, you know, back, mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> it's time to think. Um, a lot of games, they're so insecure in themselves that like you all know that like you've had interactions with certain people who get very uncomfortable, like in a conversation where there's a moment of quiet and mm-hmm. they'll just, just blurt something out. They'll just like throw words, insert noise, um, incoherent noises um, into that space, like just to throw it in because it's like very, you can feel very vulnerable and uh, you can feel very exposed in those silences and, and from software games and Miyazaki's games in particular, he just, it just sits in that silence so comfortably. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and there's so much magic that can happen in your own imagination, uh, like you were saying, where the game comes alive, there's the time playing it, and then there's the like ruminative, like, primordial soup that like a lot of the interesting experience with the game happens like after you've shut down the the pc or console or whatever and just and you're just thinking about it gosh that was so interesting gosh that moment was so exciting oh man that was so funny when that happened um and there's like some really amazing moments that happen some of the most memorable moments maybe just happen in in retrospect and and that's why i enjoy i pick up you died like occasionally and and the thing i'm i'm less concerned with like rereading my own work to like see if it holds up i just i love all of the the reminiscences from people that we interviewed and got emails from and i, I think there's one section of the book where it's just a series of like different people just saying you know, this and what stood out to them about their time playing the game. And I'll just shout out one of my favorites that I just, like, even if the book was all empty pages and there was just this one anecdote, like in the middle of the book somewhere, it would still be <laughs> worth the price of admission. Cause it's one of the guys like talking about playing with his friend and he's going back to, to the asylum, you know, for the second time where you curl up in the nest and, and, and go back and he's, his friend is, um, or it's him, I guess his friend was playing and he was just kind of coaching him along and he didn't realize that he's like, Oh, this, uh, Oh, you're, you're, you're good. Like, you know, there's like, there's nothing like we've already cleared out this area. And then he, like, as he's talking and offering those assurances, like the floor like drops out beneath him, <laughs> falling down into the arena with the, to, you know, about to lose, you know, 10,000 souls to get right. you know, killed by the, you know, the second asylum demon. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that moment was just one of those classic moments of you can just feel all the hilarity and the pathos and <laughs> and all of that all mixed up together and uh so it's yeah those those are just people like reminiscing in the game and it's such a collegial it's this thing we've all of us who love the game we've we've been through it and we've had all our own foibles and and failures and it's and yet it just becomes like cause for shared 
just laughter and and shared camaraderie and it's very it is very cementing like it's a little bit of a we've all gone through hell week together and now we're um right you know brothers in this fraternity of video game appreciation <laughs> and uh but it's like you spend more time laughing about the like the difficult things that you went through together than like lamenting them or wishing wishing that you'd avoided them somehow it's funny that you mention humor and pathos being part of the game and I, because I think it really, despite presenting itself as this very kind of, you know, straight-faced, very serious game, it opens up so much potential for comedy just in that juxtaposition. And I don't really think you can say that Dark Souls doesn't have a sense of humor um, when considering, like, the An Orlando Archer. And you know the one I'm talking about. <laughs> um, like, it's just such a ridiculously hard and almost cruel kind of like joke to to put an archer there on a very narrow bridge and it, you get the sense that the game is kind of laughing at you oh 100 it, it's the funniest game i have spent, spent so much time laughing about just even the ragdoll physics um yeah you know have such a slapstick kind of <laughs> Like one of the lizard knights um, in Sen's fortress wraps itself mm. around your heel, and it's like um, <laughs> there was a I, when I was leaving a movie the other night. There was I was watching a, a delivery driver going out to get on his motorcycle, you know, with some McDonald's from yeah you know, the McDonald's next door, and he was trailing a piece of you know toilet paper or napkin stuck mm. to the back of his like motorcycle boot. <laughs> and I mean, that is, I mean, that is dark souls, but there's a, um, you know, a lizard warrior like stuck to the, right. stuck to the bottom of your boot. And or there's just those getting... funny moments where they go like flying off a cliff and like, you can almost hear the Wilhelm scream, you know, that classic movie yeah. ah! scream <laughs> of the, the Indiana Jones Nazi sort of like falling off the train, right. like into the ravine or star Wars, you know, some, <laughs> Some stormtrooper getting knocked, into getting a pit. blindsided uh, by a giant boulder. There, <laughs> yes, there is a two-handed attack. I, I think I, I, it's actually probably on. I posted on Instagram like years ago, um, but it was just such a funny video. I had to share it um, somewhere, and but it was a, it's a, it was like a two-handed heavy attack where it just sends the enemy like launches them like out of a rail gun. <laughs> and I was, I was using it on some of the hollows, like just on the, the little hillside trek up to uh, undead Berg, like mm -hmm. by the, cause you know, they're right by the ledge there. Right. Right. And so I did the attack on him and he just <laughs> went flying and ragdolling <laughs> off into the air and like yeah, into the pit. And it was, I was, pissing myself laughing like it was just the funniest thing ever and there's no way that you design that without a sense of humor without a sense yeah. of the slapstick physical i mean that is physical comedy at its finest it is mm -hmm. the the person you know walking into the lamppost and and just absolutely getting bludgeoned it's, it's the thing that mm -hmm. kids intuitively understand like there's nothing funnier than them seeing their parents like get pretend injured um right. <laughs> and and Dark Souls just has that in its marrow. It's it's such a funny game. The humor of is I think it is part of what gets you through the game. Uh, have you played Trials the 
the motor the sort of two and a half D motorcycle. Oh yeah. Uh it's one yeah. of it is one of my like favorite games of all time, like that whole series. And I was obsessed with that You're game. Sadist. The, <laughs> I was obsessed with that game at the same time that I was playing Dark Souls. And the and I think that's why I made that connection because um Trials does that very intentionally as well. It's an incredibly difficult, uh, demanding, like physics-based platformer, uh, and the way even more demanding than a like a traditional just run and jump over pits Mario style kind of thing because you had to balance the weight of your bike and you had to lean in certain sections on inclines, but then you had to bunny hop by like rocking mm-hmm. the stick back and forth to clear other uh, gaps, and so it was really demanding, but you could pitch yourself off the bike by uh, hitting Y on the Xbox controller and it would just send your the rider like launching off and just slamming into the side of a wall and the cartwheeling down the side of a cliff and then hitting a patch of dynamite and then blowing back up into the air. <laughs> and it wasn't, it was an instant failure button. Like there's yeah, no reason was. for it to exist other <laughs> than was. like just for comedy. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a just for yucks uh, button. Yeah. And, but it, it behaved in a very similar way to a lot of the, the deaths and the, the ways that dark souls goes sideways. Uh, mm-hmm. Between each chapter in you, you Died, we had Angus, our, uh, the illustrator, uh, illustrate a different way that you could die in the game. We brainstormed a list of about 50 different unique <laughs> deaths, like getting hit by a swing pendulum scythe, you know, in <laughs> Sense Fortress and going off into the, like, you know, falling down, you know, three stories to the ground below and all these different ways getting, you know, punched to death by, you know, giant mushroom man and, uh, <laughs> but... You can I just say punched, you know, if you get hit by that, you're dead. You get yeah. punched, yeah. It's only that, yeah, it's a, it's a haymaker. It's a, it's a one shot. Uh, but it's such a funny game. And, and so even in the book, I, I think that was, that was part of the reason why we wanted to bring out that it was, yeah, you died a lot, but it's the game sound or the um, you died, that catchphrase sounds so grimdark and and you know nihilistic and you know life sucked and then you died um <laughs> but really it's it's more like a groundhog's day sort of like you know yeah. phil phil like you know doing his little death montage of like seeing if he could end his little time loop mm-hmm. of existence and you're like cracking up as he drops the you know fm radio into the bath you know that he's sitting in and then climbing up the clock tower and um yeah, it's seeing that absurdity and it makes you feel a little bit, it makes the weight of mortality just sit a bit lighter. <laughs> You're like, uh, that's just a comedy. It's, it's, yeah. sort of it's a comedy as well. The things go wrong and, and you die, and but you know we all do. And we're all sort of in that same experience was, together. So I was kind of thinking about that just in the context. I mean, I think the you died message is maybe the most one of the most iconic parts of the game where even like, you know, even if you don't play Dark Souls, you're aware of just how impactful that message is. And it's so interesting that it, like, I think it creates kind of a different response than seeing, you know, a phrase like game over or whatever, you know? it It's much more just, it's funny in how flat and obvious it is. 
Like, yeah, I just got pancaked into the dirt. I, I am aware that I died. But it's kind of a, it's up to the player to decide, like, how do you... It's very dry, very... Uh, yeah, what does that message mean to you? Pan. It's very de- yeah. deadpan, died pan. Yeah, yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah. I'm Soma, when I was playing Soma, Dead. you they used you died as well. I mean, you don't die very many times in that game, but... Mm-hmm. I fell into like a you know Mariana's trench in the bottom of the ocean at one point, and then you know heard the my the glass in my mask you know crack and all the water rush in and, and that nightmarish ending. And then it was you died on the screen. I was like, gosh, that that phrase it it did become such an iconic kind of thing where everybody knows it's from Dark Souls and. Yeah. It doesn't matter because it just, it's like this shared thing that another designer can even throw in their own video game and you'd know where it's from. And, and it's just this little, little wink of, wasn't that a great game? Remember that game? <laughs> there's, mean, a there's, a of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, it was in Demon Souls before, in the, before Dark Souls, but yeah. Mm. Well, there's just a lot of humor in the phrase in general, because the idea it's like, you're addressing someone directly that's dead it's like you can't ever really do that but <laughs> only only point. in this medium can you, so can you pull that that phrase off so it's it's cool to to be able to to catch that although i will say like as as funny as those things are talking about humor in this game um <laughs> addressing like the community of dark souls is probably like one of the funniest things like i'll never forget one of my first times playing through this game and getting through finally tackling ornstein and smo after the countless times i fought that battle you know getting the lord vessel and going i have no clue what this thing is and going up to the bonfire <laughs> and resting and it's like i turn around and i'm just like do it is there like a weapon or something and then it's like i see this note on the floor and i'm like yes like this is it like i click on it and it's like try holding with both hands and then i'm like is there like going to be some awesome weapon or something like that? And then I open the door and there's this large breasted woman and I'm just like, Aww. put my head back. I'm just like, this is what, this, this is the community right here. This is the, this is the communal humor that we, we can find, but just like those types of things or like the, yeah. the constant messages of telling you just to like try jumping off the cliff or mm-hmm. try walking forward or like the, you just have to, it's funny. Cause like, Dark Souls community is in as weirdly inclusive as it is. It's like there's such a like a Stockholm syndrome feel because like once you're in and you you get it, it's like oh I understand. I should never go where these messages tell me in any capacity. Try but jumping in, off, in Michael. All of my my lizard yeah. brain in the in <laughs> yeah. the back. Well, that's what I mean. Like there are times, especially like recently playing through Elden Ring, like sitting back and it's like do I trust this note? Like there could very well be something over this edge. I just don't know. <laughs> like, oh, so you man. have to decide like what's, what's important to you and what is it? Yeah. You saw that. I think it was from dark souls three, but that uh, NPC in a wheelchair and, and the community note on the ground was weakness, <laughs> colon, left leg, weakness, colon, right leg. Um, it's, I mean, that, that is, that is so wrong. And so incredibly, Hilarious and genius at the same time. That's uh, savage. There's, um, but there's yeah, so but when you're in the, when you're those. in that space, and it's it just it it, it invites a gallows humor, um, and uh, yeah, but it, it, like but that's the, a perfect encapsulation of helping like the community, helping helping other people through the game. It is, it's got to be one of the most like helpful 
like people are genuinely excited when they hear that somebody you have it less nowadays because the game has been out so long that mm-hmm. most people who've you know who would like it have played it at the stage but i remember early on there was this real excitement of finding somebody or somebody in your family hadn't played it yet and you're like oh like you've got to play it and then like call me while you're playing it so that I can, you know, talk you through things or right. There was that Sherpa version of the playthrough that you could probably add an extra couple playthroughs just from from friends of yours. Like you were talking about your brother Daniel playing it, and that's probably another playthrough for you because you were like going through the game vicariously with him and like, okay, think about this, or did you consider not wanting to spoil things, but hey, think about, you know, a different approach to this fight, or, um, yeah. yeah, so, like, that's that was a very fun, I remember a lot of those um, moments of finding out somebody was just playing it for the first time, and then hearing real time about the experience they were having, and them overcoming, and they come into, there were so many work colleague conversations of, like, getting in, and, and first thing that we talk about in the morning, we sat down at our desks was like their progress in the game the night before and like what new <laughs> boss they'd killed or, you know, what they'd mm. been struggling on or stuck on or, ah, oh, I spent the whole night, like, you know, just beating my head against this one area or, um, it's really, it's, it's just a, such a social game. It's like such a connective game. It, it forces you to rely on the help of others and then the experiences you have are so memorable that they just beg you to share them and write about them and make video YouTube videos about them. And I mean, the Souls games and like, and the offshoot games like have to be the most let's played, you know, sort of streamed games <laughs> yeah. of all time time ever like i think that's fair outside of likely battle royale games probably yes yeah that's true some of the just repetitive (laughs) ones that you can just like log more hours just because it's yeah like it's Mm -hmm. like basketball you know it's just the clock like resets and like legends or yeah something like that where it's just okay just restart and you know from the start but yeah in terms of like a narrative uh, sculpted yeah, for sure. experience. Like, I mean, there's nothing like it in terms of the content like that you could generate out of out of that game, just the number of unique little interactions and and yeah. things. It's it's perfect. It's tailor made. It like came around just at the just at the right time. It's probably what contributed to it blowing up at, as much as it, it has, because it it that series like grew up with you know, like right alongside streaming and Mm-hmm. And you know channels mm-hmm. like like Vati and you mentioned Zoli the Witch and you know Lizzie Wall you know all of these creators Iron Pineapple Fighting Cowboy you, like you just go down the list you know <laughs> back in the day Epic Name Bro um, one of the OGs it's like <laughs> Lobos like you could challenge run it you could just play and joke about it you could uh, you could do it play it straight you could. Um, oh, every, everyone wants to be a part of it. Like, yeah, like yeah, any yeah, small, sure. I will frequently go to Twitch and just like look for people that have like one or two views that are playing Dark Souls. And I look for like the first time tag and I'm just like, I won't say anything. I don't do it. I just jump in and watch because yeah. like getting to see those people's faces while they're experiencing those same things that I know what's happening. 
but they don't. And that is, that is, I get like an endorphin rush out of, out of those types of, uh, yeah. encounters. But, um, I will say like in terms of the community, um, the, the portion of the book where it talked about the car on the hill during like a snowstorm, um, that is a, such a strong metaphor for how the, you know, the community is structured in this game. Um, and for those listening, it effectively is just, if there's a car broke down on the side of the hill, the community in this game is not a, it's, you know, you don't have access to a cell phone in this game to call a friend to come help you. It's a, it's very much a, when people come by, they could easily swerve off the side of the road and hit you and cause more damage, or they could just as easily pull off the side of the road and, and help you. And the Dark Souls in that way is, it's very similar to how they, you know, in order to enable the access to help in this game, you must also enable someone to be a dirty bastard <laughs> to you. So you, yeah. there is no, you cannot have one without the other. And it's just, you know, that's kind of the world's Dark Souls. You get to take the good with the bad. And the, the online community is is very much the same way. I think the anecdote about the the cars in the snowstorm was was Miyazaki talking about the inspiration for the phantoms and the the yeah. the um the way that people can come into your game and and help you out and then disappear without a trace and you never you don't know who they were this they mm-hmm. may have helped you get past the boss that you'd been stuck on for hours and 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 he I hope it's real it's it almost it sounds so easily apocryphal um right this, this <laughs> mythical story of like my car breaking down on a hill in a snowstorm and just one of the other cars like like i think the other car like pushed him up the hill or got him over yeah. the icy mm-hmm. bit and like just by like pushing you know just yeah just like getting his bumper on the on the back bumper and and literally pushing him up the hill and he doesn't know he couldn't thank them he didn't didn't have any personal interaction with them it was just this anonymous like he just dropped into his life and intersected at this one moment and then was gone forever and that was so memorable to him that he's like what how could you recreate that experience in a game and and then that gave rise to the to the multiplayer um dimension of the game that the ambient multiplayer um as mm-hmm. opposed to like let's get in a lobby together and you know right and kick this game's ass um but i, I love well, that that's, that's kind of the cool thing is like all yeah. the the entirety of like the dark souls world exists in the self-contained like single player aspect so it doesn't there's no lobby there's no um there's no place where you and your friends can go and hang out and just chat and do stuff in the game it's all encompassing in this the story and i like how even like when you first talk to solaire he gives you this little hint that like the worlds phase in and out of each other so like it gives this weird explanation of how it mm-hmm. how it happens but no one understands it no one's ever gonna understand it we all just <laughs> don't think to too hard about it it's, multi- it's a multiverse it. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah read, read abyssal archive that's about as close <laughs> as it's gonna get to, to <laughs> understanding it so. that's my favorite line from solaire is when he's like did you see spider-man all right so you kind of get it yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. spidey you know, like yeah, Morgan. yeah, right. So you're on board. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> to get back to something you were saying earlier, Jason, and something that I'm thinking about now that we're talking about the the multiplayer, about design being, you know, perfection being what you can until there's nothing else you can take away. The amount of restraint that oh. they showed in order to keep that kind of isolating nature while making it a multiplayer experience. There are so many ways that could have gone awry, just based on like, you know, what we conventionally think of a, a 
like multiplayer features. Imagine if Dark Souls had like proximity chat, like, and what a oh, different oh, experience God. that would be. <laughs> would not be Dark Souls. It would. No, it wouldn't. It, it would have like, absolutely like just polluted. It would have been terrible. Irreparably. Yeah. Absolutely. The fact that you were forced to kind of communicate and, and players have developed this language solely through like emotes, um, I think has has fostered such a different kind of community by restricting the amount of ways that players have to interact with one another. Yeah. 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 It is a it is a kind of um I mean random old school reference, but like Dances with Wolves, where you've mm-hmm. got the two people who don't speak each other's language and you know, they're, it's that Tatanka scene where they're like trying to like get some shared word, like how do we communicate? But they're like like just making gestures and like me, uh, John, right. and oh, me, you know, <laughs> um, runs with uh, Buffalo or, you know, whatever. But that's that's recreated there's like a straining for connection and a mm-hmm. it's like another l- layer of creativity um that's very analogous to the i mean even though you you do have the the very puerile um sort of large chest ahead you know or like amazing mm-hmm. chest ahead you know kind of comments in Anne orlando you've you've also got this playfulness of a really constrained a rule set with very tight constraints and and then a an absolute proliferation of creative uses of forced ingenuity uh, mm-hmm. around how different people use and deal with those constraints so it uh again i've not that like we have to distill it down into these like different creative takeaways but like we 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 bristle at the idea of constraints and and yet there is so dark souls uh is just a case study in how very tight rigid constraints create incredible creativity and mm-hmm. like incredible like uh diversity of like problem solving approaches and and if it was a mushier game that was that was a bit more loose and um then it w- it wouldn't be as it wouldn't be what it is it wouldn't have that magic but it gets that through forcing player creativity um but it's a very it's very confident in its rule set and it doesn't um yeah it doesn't it doesn't really flex it like it forces um the, the analogy i'm thinking of is is like kids with really like very rigid like authoritarian parents who like have a very like the stereotypical military father mm-hmm. you know, who just rules with an iron fist or the you know uh and like in that archetype it's like you get kids who like have this really trickster kind of creativity around how they like weave right. in and out and get and how they sneak out the window and how they get around those rules um it like forces far more creativity than the than the really um you know permissive you know parent who's just like ah just come home anytime do whatever you know 23 hours of screen time no problem like mm. um <laughs> like you know we tried to you know enforce screen time you know kind of things with my 
son. And, you know, we'd, we'd find like the most creative ways of him sneaking the switch when he was younger and playing it like one in the morning, <laughs> you come down to the living room and he's there on the switch, like sitting on the couch with, you know, he's like so little, his like legs didn't even like, you know, fit over the end of the couch. And he's just sitting there with the switch on his lap getting busted. And, and, you know, you're, you're in deep trouble. And you're like, Wow, I, I'm I'm kind of impressed that you managed to find the switch, override the parental controls. Like, well done. I'm actually kind of proud of you at the same time as I'm annoyed with the circumvention. But that's Dark Souls as well. It's um, it, it forces you to like to have this kind of trickster adaptive creativity to to deal with those to get in and around those those boundaries. Yeah. Well, then I think also. So much of the community, because Dark Souls doesn't, um, you know, it, it is restrictive in its gameplay, but in terms of how you interact with other people or how you, you know, how you feel about the world, it doesn't give a lot of guidelines, which means that a lot of the player interactions have been created by the community. You know, things like bowing before a duel. Nothing in the game tells you to do that. And <laughs> nobody, like, I don't know, you know, how that became a thing, but now it is such just a part of the the culture which is defined by the online community which i think is um you know not unheard of in things like mmos but for a game like this it feels pretty unique did you i'm i'm curious this is a question i know i'm the guest and like it's not conventional for me to like pepper you guys with questions but i'm curious like, did yeah, you you're in the hot seat jason <laughs> i'm turning it around the the interrogation light is spinning around on you um <laughs> get ready uh i was i was curious if you guys got um into the pve like aspect of the game and did you embrace that or like invading other players or griefing or um I'm I'm really I'm curious because I, I get really different responses and it seems to be kind of linked to personality types and um, so it, I'm being judged. Yeah, yeah, you are being hardcore. <laughs> Michael, I'll let you answer first. <laughs> get ready for the psychoanalysis. Um, no, I I did not get into the PvP, but um, it really it spawned as like when I started playing Souls games, I still lived in an area in West Virginia, it's it's the, no internet. Like I just didn't have the capability to do so. Um, so whenever I did finally, you know, venture into playing these games where there was, um, where I had that type of access, uh, the only PVP I ever took place in was in like hot zones for the sake of PVP. I had never jumped in just to mess with someone's run or anything, you know, like uh, in, um, after the, our, um, in the DLC area after Artorias's arena where you fight him, notorious PvP hot zone. I'd throw down my sign there just to see how I fare against other people, but ne never maliciously, always just in good jest. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, often. even in those sections, there's still the the start or the fight doesn't start till there's a bow, and you know, and then I inevitably get someone glitch backstabs me, and you know, I'm I just hate my life for the rest of the day. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Terrible. Max, yeah. what was what your um, experience with that part of the game? Um, I'm reluctant, at least through my first like Dark Souls 1 playthrough. Um, there were times in my first round where I really felt like I needed co-op, and that does, like Michael was saying, open you up to, to um, the PvP aspect of it. And I will say that the adrenaline rush like from <laughs> beating an invader 
oh my god yes. oh, that yeah. feeling of like i didn't want war but i didn't start this <laughs> like <laughs> i'm not locked in here with you you're locked yeah, in here exactly. with me <laughs> it's just like this immediate yeah. ability to turn yeah. the tides on somebody i think really kind of gave me that sort of itch but it wasn't until um dark souls 3 where i felt like i had enough kind of playthroughs under my belt and i understood the mechanics well enough and i had a build that i thought would um would be able to be competitive and at that point um the arena dlc had just come out and that was kind of a godsend for me where it felt more kind of official it felt like there were like constraints and rules and, and sanction yeah it was sanctioned yeah, it put it in a warfare. context and yeah. for me that really helped um you know where pvp just out in the world felt a little bit like i'm gonna run some back alleys and see if i can get into a street fight like, let's just see how that goes. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that is I, what I will it say, is. Like, you described it perfectly. Uh, be- because of this question, like, I found the chapter in You Died surrounding PvP mm-hmm. fascinating. Yeah. Like, that, I, that was by far my favorite chapter of the book just because, like, those are new experiences for me. Like, those types of outlooks on the game are just completely fresh. And, you know, something that, I feel like is op- it opened a door to go, if you want to see more of Dark Souls, here's something you haven't seen yet. And that's fantastic because, you know, as you could probably tell just by this conversation already, I want more of this game. <laughs> so Yeah, shout out a, to, to Jeremy Greer, who was, uh, I leaned on him so much in that in that chapter. The, the Bonfire Side Chat guys uh, put me in touch with him and just said, hey, you know, if you want to talk about the multiplayer component and all that, like talk to Jeremy. He's uh, he's really knowledgeable, and he he helped me understand it because I was very skittish about it. I found it very intimidating. Uh, I I like it is the most embarrassing, cowardly uh, like admission. But sometimes <laughs> when I would get invaded, I would just suicide. I would just run and jump off a ledge to like end the the dread mm. of like the it, like the chase of i found right. that like intolerable like from a stress standpoint i like i, I felt like i was being stalked. You're not alone in that i like, felt like i was being stalked a, by a serial killer right and like yeah and they were like getting closer all the time and i was just like i cannot stand this when like where are they going to come out <laughs> like cuz i was i was i would get so stressed that i even if my mechanical even if i was up to the challenge you know it's it's hard to you have to keep a cool head you know to prevail and mm-hmm. i i found it so stressful that i i was just like kind of turning into a first time street fighter player like <laughs> just forgetting all the button combos you know just mashing like help you know just hammering your forehead you know against the buttons hoping that some like sensible combination of attacks comes out mm-hmm. and it never did. And I would always just get absolutely destroyed. Um, so yeah, I, I wonder how many people, maybe you'll get some feedback on from, from listeners on this part of the the show, what, you know, what they, how they reacted in those moments of getting invaded. And hopefully they were, they were more um, <laughs> brave and, uh, you know, <laughs> sort of, able to stand their ground than than I was on on some of those occasions but no I never invaded anybody else it just I don't know I had this weird complex about it it just it felt wrong I not that 
you know, I've played Grand Theft Auto. I've mowed the pedestrians down on the sidewalk. I'm not a, you know, goody tissues, <laughs> like mm. in, uh, you know, in virtual environments, you know, it's like you're able to indulge those, like, just what if I did this thing that is totally aberrant and, um, and it, it's just this moment of like dark, you know, comedy. But, but yeah, in that game, it just, I think it was because there was a real, there was like another player and, I was, I couldn't shake that, like, empathy. It was like this annoying, like, empathy impulse, like, that was firing. Yep. <laughs> I was like, I wish I could shut that off so I could just, you know, go around, you know, griefing. And, um, but no, I, I, I really struggled with it. But Jeremy, like, had no qualms. He was just like, all right, let's just ruin some people's day. <laughs> but then he would, like, my, I think my favorite story, I loved writing that that chapter you mentioned. And I think it was because it was really a, like this alien thing that I was like trying to understand. And um, it felt like a little bit like being in the cell, like interviewing Hannibal Lecter or something, like getting into the mind of, <laughs> you know, some <laughs> some sordid brain. It's like, how some do I... sociopath. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and like, but Jeremy is, is the nicest like Southern gent and... Um, and so it was, I, I just love the discordance of him, like having this like mischievous um, hobby of like griefing people in Dark Souls. Um, but he was talking about how he invaded somebody's world and like kicked them in, off a cliff or, you know, totally disrupted their game. And then he got a message from them saying, hey, how do you like, <laughs> how do you beat this thing? Or how do you how do this thing? And and then Jeremy jumped into their game, like co-op. He got summoned in, he friended him and like summoned him in and he helped him like beat the area, be, beat the boss for that mm. area or do something. <laughs> and I just loved that. Um, it just showed the all the faces of that experience and all the, he was like the antagonist, but then the guy was like, dude, I need, I need help. And like, you should, you're the dude who showed up. Like, right. yeah, you like, you like killed me and, and I... Like, we're going to have to, you know, we'll work that out another time, but can you help me out with this, <laughs> with mm -hmm. this thing? And he did, and he would just and very enthusiastically helped him out. And, um, and so I love, I love that. It's, there's like a very give and take kind of energy yeah. there of, yeah, I'll kill you and well, then I'll, and then I'll give you a helping hand. <laughs> I think it makes the co-op experiences feel much more impactful because people have a choice to be a bastard if they want to. And there's a lot of, you know, people who exclusively do co-op. And I, I love doing that, like putting down a summon sign in front of a boss and helping somebody yeah. through that. Yeah, yeah, it's super Those fun. Those experiences are awesome. Um, you know, particularly if you get the sense that it's somebody who doesn't have a ton of experience. Like, you're, you're right in saying that I think Dark Souls gives you a lot of opportunities to circumvent its difficulty. And the online community is a, is a major one, for sure. Yeah. I like I like the idea of like just the the way that the multiplayer is presented um, a lot, and I think that my favorite thing about it is that there's no set way. It's not like okay, you summon and they're here for this boss. Obviously, there's some rules to it, like you already beat an area, you can't summon mm -hmm. there, stuff like that. But there's there's a lot of fluidity in the way that's like okay, if someone summons or invades my world, it's not like they're building up to this duel. Like that, my favorite thing to do, especially in like Dark Souls 3, for instance, if um, I'm running the DLC 
really common areas, the big lake area in Dark Souls 3, uh, with like all the grasshopper guys, like the, the swamp area there. Like if I get invaded there, I will just go find a deeper part and I will just emote and lay down. It's like, good <laughs> luck finding me. Like you, you have to, <laughs> you're going to, if you want to kill me, you need to work for my body. Yeah. So, and like more often than not, like I'll just lay the controller down and leave. And if they find me cool, I died and they deserve the win. Cause they found me. But if not, like they ended up DCing the area because they have no clue where I'm at. So it's like you make the experience yeah. what you want for the entirety of this game. And whether it's, you know, um, helping someone or like the example in the book of the the guy that was displaying like the the wall. He just stood the in the test of patience. In the, <laughs> dude, yeah, that is that is just classic. Like this is so funny. Um, so it's just it's not it doesn't just mean you're going to fight. It means you're, you're right. Anything could happen whenever someone invades your world and like. Again, just the how this game, the exercises and minimalism that it has throughout the entirety of its infrastructure, it just affords so much opportunity in every different type of experience. It's so cool. The reverse grief is is beautiful. I, even though I'm still hung up on the phrase, I'm going to make you work for my body, which just... Not the first time I've heard Michael say that, unfortunately. Yeah. Prob yeah. Probably won't be I the mean, last. <laughs> It's fair. I it's do fair. play. Uh, I like the confidence. I like I'm the all, flex. Yeah, I, I I am that guy that plays a female in every character and the uh, the skimpiest clothing that I, that I could possibly find. I don't think go. we have to unpack all that right now. <laughs> I think I think that's where the it, trademark one hundred percent bonnet bonnet uh, came from. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but. the classic term. <laughs> Exactly. It 100% is because in in my office where my computer is, my wife's office is right behind me. So I want her to make, just think I'm the most disgusting, awful incel that ever existed. Your your character name is just Pig. That's that's just uh, you know, you, just from the offset. Awful Swine 69. That's it. You're right. Oh, no. That God. is about the that is about the level of uh, ingenuity of the of the uh, gamer mm. tags from days of old. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. Did you uh, did you play a a female warrior in uh, in Dark Souls? Was that your is that your go to build for for every game? Are you asking me? Yeah, you were the one talking about like yeah. playing playing oh, the uh, the she I actually only played a. Um, <laughs> I played a female in three. I actually just played a a regular depraved male in one. Um, but that ironically enough sports Siren's armor because that's I just like the way Lord's Blade Siren looks. My favorite character in the game, hands mm. down. Um but no, I that it was more of a joke. I just honestly yeah. I don't care whether I'm male or female in the game. I'll do <laughs> although I do find the female voice uh sounds to be much more funny. Like when they get hit, like there's like that uh like sound oh, yeah. and it's like there's I a lot of those in the male version too. <laughs> yeah. Like all, all of the male oh, ones yeah, sound like you're, I just think the yeah the female ones are funnier. So mm -hmm. um rewinding all the way back to like the beginning of the game. I love you know, we, we've, this seems to be the central focus of the conversation, but just the, the exercise and like maximizing the minimalization that this game has, like all the way to the beginning of the, like down to the story where they're talking about, you know, the, there was like nothing and then there was fire and then it created disparity and like the soul was formed and like, I'm not even going to be begin to like understand how all of it makes sense. But like even in the areas where you feel like it doesn't make any sense to you, 
somewhere like lingering out in in the little bits of the world there's you you feel like all the pieces are there to make the necessary connections and you don't get that in games nowadays like either it's force fed to you or they're like hey go online and read these 5000 cards that will explain it to you looking at you destiny um <laughs> or just any other type of median and in dark souls is so unique in the way that it like structures its its quote unquote narrative and lore um, and not that I have any interest in diving into the specific lore, but like, like one of the biggest pieces that really stuck out to me and how this was structured is, you know, when you're moving through the dark root garden and you find Sif and then you <laughs> you fight that horrendous battle that makes you feel very sad. Um, like when you move around the, the side of the, the tombstone, you find the hornet's ring on the ground and you look at who it was and then it's just like, oh, this was the Lord's Blade. And then you get to the DLC and you kill Artorius, and then Lord's Blade is sitting there, and you give her Artorius' soul. Then she kills herself, and you're just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, like, making those types of connections on, one, how the world formed itself over those hundreds of years between that those times. Two, like, how deeply affected she was by the loss of her, of a loved one, or I guess supposed loved one, depending on how you perceive the lore. But and then three, the idea that like these things that were important to these characters persisted through time and that body, that random hollow body that you picked up this ring off of turned out to be someone so important to like those types of things are never, ever explicitly called out in the game. And you've, you're able to forge those connections because of the minimalism that this game instills. And that's, very important to me because if you are told something it goes in one ear out the other but if you forge a connection yourself that is a neural path that you have created in your brain that sticks with you and dark souls is packed with them from top to bottom in every area in every bit so the lore itself like i said while not diving into it is so dense and that's why there are so many people out there that want to discover it and look into it because there is no right answer there's just commonalities, and that's just so important to like how Dark Souls has persisted in media today. Yeah, even if you don't understand it, and I, I didn't make a great effort to try to tease apart all of the relationships, but it, I didn't need to because it added, it just created this really tight, almost like a like a net that just, I felt I could feel all those connections, the tight weave of all those ambient connections between the different characters in the world. They felt solid even without investigating them because you saw the intentionality in the kinds of um, the environmental storytelling that you mentioned and the placement of certain items that, I could just trust it was it was real and it was not just a facade that it was thought through. And then I could have the experience. It it just became a piece of the world building in a way mm-hmm. um, that made the world feel three-dimensional. And um, and I I loved the feel of the world. I mean, that was the the mystery of it, the just the mood and the and the intrigue of it and all the unanswered questions. Uh, in a way, I the, the less like, granular my knowledge of all of the backstory 
the more rich the world felt, <laughs> like the more uh, it felt more mysterious. And and I, I liked leaving a bit of breathing space there in terms of, um, he says, you know, just before publishing like a 530 word <laughs> you know, deep dive, like complete lore vivisection of all the back story. But I also love that. I love that um, it's the appreciation of different ways of experiencing the game. And yeah. that it has, some, it's it's back to that. I'm kind of harping on that idea again of it, there's there's something for everyone in the game. It's like, if you love the combat, if you come from the fighting game community, then like I would talk to game designers who come, came from a fighting game background and they loved the complexity and the, uh, and the ceremony of that of that battle it was like almost like a very it was like this kind of you talk about the bowing max like that samurai mm. code of the warrior right. you know the the honor of like of a really challenging duel and um mm-hmm. and and the and they loved that aspect of it and then i talked to other people and it was you know the just the challenge of it. They were the masochist kind of players who just wanted to overcome and wanted to feel that rush of victory. And then there was other people who just loved the the character design and the and 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 it just appeals to every single different player. They can each. It's this kind of Rorschach um, ink blot where you 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 see it allows you to enjoy and see and get out of it what you, some kind of reflection of what you love. And, and it, it's kind of miraculous how it does that. I don't, I've been trying to figure it out for, you know, what is it now? 12 years, you know, 11, 12 years where like past, you know, it's release or past when I first played it. And it still doesn't entirely make sense to me. And, I've had the chance to talk to Miyazaki like, now four or five times, and and I every single time I'm like, this is the conversation where I'm going to, I've got the I've got the question phrased in the perfect way that he's going to unlock <laughs> this mystery for me, of how you create something this complex and how it just seems impossible on paper, but he's done it, so I know it can be done, and he I'm gonna ha- he's going to help me understand it and. And then he, like, I mean, talk about ducking and dodging and weaving out. Like, he, he just, he is not going to definitively answer that question. And, um, and that's part of the maddening, you know, but lovable, you know, way that he has of just leaving that mystery in the, sure. in there. He's not going to demystify it as much as you think you want him to, and maybe I don't really want him to, maybe it would just, it would be like asking the songwriter to explain their lyrics. And then it's like, Oh, I, I kind of liked my, right. I kind of liked my interpretation (laughs) of it better, but now I know it's just about this ex-girlfriend and, you know, yeah. So like it's, the inter the intersecting points of dark souls are just like the foundational building blocks, but the paths that everyone was able to form and the connections that everyone was able to form along the way is what made it such a, like a profound statement in like general media as a whole today. Um, 
you know, no no two people's interpretation of events are, are the same in any capacity. Yet each of them have equal amount of weight in their arguments of why it it, it should be quote unquote canon to you know the Dark Souls universe, and that's what makes it so so wonderful. Is you know the the amount of speculation that can go into just any one <laughs> placement of rock or something like that throughout the throughout Lordran is just it's incredible. Like you, there's just creating something without a definitive fact and letting people build the world metaphorically around it is just a <laughs> something that everyone should strive to do and um even down to the point that like even dark souls 3 while it's still like largely one of my favorite souls games nothing even dark souls 3 i don't think recreates the same level of impact that dark souls 1 has um just because it just captured that lightning in a bottle that just like you is a one in a million type of event and you know things can run tangential to it and they can um they can reference it all they want to but nothing will ever just it won't strike in the same place twice so um this is really cool to be like a alive in a time where something as masterful as like as this is appreciated like it is you know Mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of things out there that i wish were appreciated at a higher level but nothing like this it's it's just incredible yeah there isn't a game world um that i've experienced that has the the same balance of very tight constructed labyrinth like maze like um navigational enjoyment but also with like the space and illusion of openness that mm-hmm. that the first Dark Souls. Has. What I'm hearing, Jason, is that you've never played Sonic Adventure. That's sort of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. Hold on, let me remove uh, Max from the call really quick. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Max has left the chat. Not by his free will. <laughs> what else is new? Yeah, that. I mean, that's. It's so hard to get that feeling of like open but Mm -hmm. also tightly sculpted and crafted. And, and that's, I, I prefer that to the, the wide open Elden Ring kind of template. I, I have a, there is a rush of like in a, you know, in a more, in a recent Zelda game or a, like that wide open Hyrule or, you know, or the Elden Ring, you know, just fields and lakes and you can just see the mountains and you can see it all and and go anywhere and do everything. Um, I still would take that that really tight balance of order and chaos, of the chaos of the openness, but perfectly balanced out with like the ordered quality of a of a Zelda, like early Zelda dungeon where mm-hmm. it's like just very plainly a labyrinth and it's i mean you could draw a zelda dungeon on a piece of graph paper mm-hmm. and um you know with no artistic skill you can still it's just so primal it's 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 the classic you know it's the classic predicament of <laughs> of uh, of being human is like you're born into a labyrinth and um and i mean that's why it's such a archetypal myth of you know like you go back thousands of years and there's minotaurs and there's lab and there's labyrinths and and you're trying to navigate you know through that and 
and Dark Souls uh, does that in such with such deft sleight of hand. Um, it puts you in that maze on the, it. It put, places you on that piece of graph paper, but it like transforms the the surface into something that feels so organic and so mm-hmm. realistic. Um, but so it's for me, it strikes the perfect balance between between those two experiences, and and I like I love I love a good maze. I love a good you know an early Zelda dungeon. I like I right. love that experience. It's it's just so there's something so pristine about the way that it's portrayed, um, and that's that was partly down to just the technical limitations of the mm. form at that time, and and so you could. Something we haven't really talked about is the Zelda inspiration, like on Miyazaki. I mean, when he's he's given a few different answers for what his favorite game or games are, uh, but when I asked him, he said it was um, he. It was probably I think it was twenty twenty thirteen when he gave me that this answer. But he said it was linked to the past. He, like that was his favorite game of all time, mm-hmm. and and so regardless of like. Uh, what his like on a given day, you know, we always have a different hierarchy of like our favorite games depending on what we had for breakfast am, and what what mood we're in. I am now noting that Miyazaki has also not played Sonic Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different podcast. That's uh, next week's five-hour Sonic Adventures podcast. Um, mostly lore. Mostly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and this, rule thirty-four. This, well, yeah. The second, yeah, right. And the sec- the second yeah. most let's played game of all time, I, I reckon, um, or maybe not. But yeah, it's um, I I I I just love I love Lorde and I love that balance of of open and sculpted and it was it was just perfect. Um, it's I mean I'm open to to revising you know to to crowning a new <laughs> a new champ, but that was that was damn near perfect. And uh, it's hard to imagine hitting such a, a perfect sweet spot um, mm-hmm. between open and closed. Um, Again. One of the one of the best examples, I think, of that that sort of tension and dynamic that you're talking about, Jason, about it being it is a linear map, but it's almost sort of hidden in the way that it sort of naturally feels like the world. I think particularly of um, in in Orlando, in order to get into the chapel, when you have to run up um, one of the buttresses into a yeah. broken window, and you kind of have to drop off at this sort of weird angle off a ledge. And it feels like you're breaking a rule. It feels like you're sort of like accessing a part of the game that you shouldn't be able to do, even though that is the intended path. I think that was one of the big moments where it Dark Souls' design felt very special, where there wasn't this kind of sign, you know, signposting or handholding or anything. You know, the, the path forward was not obvious, even though there was a very clear sort of linear direction to continue. That I I love that you. That's such a great moment. I love that it's just immortalized in the conversation because that is such, there's such a thrilling little little enjoyable twist of like feeling like you're breaking breaking mm. the wall and and sort of sneaking outside of it in this really crafty um, sort of way, like that trickster kind of creativity that I was right. referencing earlier. And it reminds me of Portal. Uh, do Do you remember in that it, like towards the end of Portal? Spoiler alert but for play play portal and then uh it's it's so perfect because it had there's this moment where you realize okay glados is like trying to kill me and i'm Mm. on a a platform i'm being 
slowly in like James Bond style in slow right. motion being sent into the incinerator. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just slow enough so that I can, you know, make my you know, creative escape, mm-hmm. but you're going down. It's like, you're dead, you know, sorry, I have to kill you. Um, <laughs> and then you like break through the map with the portal gun and like right. circumvent, you know, and just go outside of this chamber. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, and mm-hmm. you just feel like you've broken the game to your advantage. And right. of course uh, you have, I mean, in the, in the fiction, you've like, you've like, it looks like it's supposed to play out a certain way and you've completely subverted like the design of this, of this level that's supposed to end in your death. And I remember just getting such a, a, a thrill. Like it felt it felt like I had, like I was a hacker. Like I felt, um, you know, with like no coding skill whatsoever. I felt like <laughs> I had, I had just seen the matrix. I had rearranged reality. I'd <laughs> like through the code of existence and I had just reworked it, you know, to allow me to survive. And, and so it made me feel clever and, um, and I think good games do like they just, they give you a feeling of um, of achievement, a feeling of of cleverness and resourcefulness. Yeah, uh, and that that yeah, moment, just... like of, I can't remember if somebody tipped me off to the to the buttress or if I came to that on my own. But even if you already know about it, you still feel smart while you're <laughs> while you're jumping down off that ledge. Yeah, um, yeah I probably it's, was. It's... I probably was told about it. Um, I think you kind of have to be your first time through. It's not, yeah, it's less than obvious. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, of course I'm going to like run up here and jump through and go through a broken window. What? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It is funny because you bring that up because like not even, I just mentioned my 13-year-old's playing through this right now and he got just a, just hard stopped at that point. Like he, he's like, I have been everywhere and I have no clue where to go. And I was like, I will give you the general area where you should start looking but then, you know, I went back upstairs and he came upstairs 15 minutes later and he's like, ah, did you, how was I supposed to know? And it's, it's such a yeah, cool yeah, thing to yeah. see, like the, the world itself is not designed. It makes it feel this way. Anyway, the world of dark souls is not designed to be a footpath for you. It's designed mm-hmm. to be a world to that's lived in. And it feels that way, especially in that moment. It's like, there are yeah. seven other of these things that are connected to this path. And it's just like, you can walk up this one you didn't even realize it because it just looked like part of the world right and there's a lot of examples like that and i'm you know here's looking at you crystal caves you know where the paths aren't so obvious (laughs) that you know you have to you know really pay attention to what's around you to engineer a solution and um i think that again like usually minimum like minimizing the signposting is a such a powerful mechanic that more games need to to do and you'll get the yeah. you make a player feel empowered in your world they will love your game more for it so and dark souls like from top to bottom has that instilled in it and yet you're like one of the biggest last of us fans that i know and <laughs> there is that naughty dog yellow stripe on every ledge that you you need to uh you need to uh navigate too um so, so but that it, it we, probably would be maddening <laughs> if you if you didn't have like some like hey look over here yellow little, little bit of yellow paint on this well, uh, on the sledge like 
if you go back and listen to our Last of Us episode, um, it's it's heavily focused on narrative. And I will I'll be the first to say you'll be hard pressed to find a better narrative in a video game than The Last of yeah. Us as a yeah, as yeah. a whole. But uh, largely speaking, you're right. I don't I don't really appreciate when games signpost things. Um, and it makes it difficult because, well, like we talked about earlier, whenever I first experienced Dark Souls as a whole, like the community was still forming. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have the luxury of playing it pre-release where it was just the, the, the people who made the game and were, were testing it out. Were, you knew who to get in you know, contact emailing. with. Yeah. Exactly. So like my relationship with Dark Souls in the beginning was so isolated because I didn't have other friends that were willing to try it out. You know, I had the people that I used to work with at GameStop that I could text, but you know, that I didn't really want to leverage that relationship for any reason other than other than <laughs> professional if needed. Once again, um, shout out to GameStop, but, one of our biggest sponsors. <laughs> but you're uh, probably still in the very yeah, first so patch, just, like Iron Flesh, like still made you completely indestructible. <laughs> and uh, there was the, some... cur- the curse was the biggest oh, thing fuck. that I think of yeah. as far as because that was something I butted up against very hard. I had to restart the whole game because I'd been like triple cursed, and my yeah. health bar was and, like mm-hmm. just a micro sliver. Yeah. And there's just yeah. like I'm. I'm just not that, making it out. I, I had that too. I had that too. It was absolutely. I, I thought I was. I I thought I was hard stuck. I thought I had to restart it. I, I think I read about that in in You Died, but some some stranger on the internet. I I think I tweeted about it, and I don't. He he mentioned the healer in the that you could go to 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 get the curse removed, and but I had spent a lot of time playing with one eighth of a. Right. I think pre- the first patch, I think it was one eighth of, of your health bar that it would get, you could, it would stack to. And, uh, <laughs> when I asked Miyazaki about it, he Same. just, he, he said the, um, the play testers got too good at the game. And so he couldn't get realistic because they had just played it so much. And, the, and so what felt like an acceptable level of challenge for a novice player was, it was just way too much. And mm-hmm. so, he, that's why he, it got out with that level of punishing. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I, the QA testers are just too good. <laughs> I couldn't. It seemed acceptable, <laughs> and so, um, right. and it very clearly wasn't. Once it, once like it got out, like people seconds. were just absolutely, cr- <laughs> yeah, crestfallen, um, just demoralized uh, by that, and rightfully so. But it was totally broken in your favor in a few other ways in that early patch. Like there was some like shields, like you could throw as a projectile and it was like the, some crystal shield or I can't remember what the name of it was. I think you got it off of the, the Titanite golem. Um, it was like, you know, the dude lurking just out in the little interstitial area between undead parish mm-hmm. and dark root. Mm-hmm. Where the, Andre, the blacksmith is. Yeah. Is that the, like crumbled golem with the with the catch was it the catch pole was yep. that the name yep. of it there was yep. but it was titanite demon yep but there was an item that he he had a rare drop that was like a shield or titanite catch pole or something like that um but you could throw it and it stacked damage in like some crazy way and so in the like on that email thread one of the guys was like i have this i throw the shield out and it does like 1300 damage on each hit or it it just did some insane amount of damage and he was like i just destroy everyone like with this with this item and and it was it got patched so quickly like in the after release it was like that was gone and like the damage on that (laughs) item just fell off a cliff got nerfed super hard um 
but yeah, it's, it's just, it's fun to even think about like as hallowed as that game as dark souls is. And it's like many people would consider it the best or one of the, one of the biggest achievements in gaming history. And, and yet there were, you know, typos in the, in the first version of it. Like, um, there were some just incredibly like obvious flaws that, and so that's such a humanizing thing that even in a game as storied as that, there could be very like obvious mistakes or like mm-hmm. poorly tweaked, you know, variables or you know, bugs in, in the code, so to speak. And, and, you can incrementally fix those things. And, and so for me, it just, it massively humanizes, you know, that the team and obviously it's Miyazaki and, you know, 150 other people are, you know, making, making that game. It's not, you know, it's not just the one auteur, you know, doing every, everything and making every single decision. Uh, But, but yeah, I, I love that even, even they got, got a few things very, very wrong and, you just you shrug it off and he's you know he falls all over himself apologizing if you know if you point any of those any of those things out or ask why you know Blighttown was you know so stuttery or you know whatnot and he's just like I'm, I'm very very sorry I'm so sorry on behalf of the whole team I apologize <laughs> it's like it's okay it's okay and you were like that yeah was, you should be. to see the that culture difference there like that was really neat to because yeah. it's something we just don't think about. Because like, as I know you live in live in Europe, but you're very you raised in Western culture. Yeah, you know, pointing out someone's flaws like an everyday occurrence, but over there you you even passively mention it, and it was like like a detrimental like buckle down and yeah like, yeah. And I mean, you would you would never speak poorly of of one of your colleagues, mm-hmm. um, something they'd done on the game, whether it was in your engineering team or. Like it would just be absolutely verboten in Japanese culture to shame somebody else's uh, contribution to something that you've that you've released, and and so he's such he's a very, better culture. <laughs> yeah, there is there is something very <laughs> remarkable and um, about that, and but he was he was he definitely was sensitive to that. Of I'm not going to I'm not going to th- he would be the last person on earth to throw anybody under the bus or another. Of like ah uh, the you know this guy dropped the ball and that's why the frame rate is you know right. in this area is this or that or this team you know did, the code was you know was not well written or like and yeah he's very respectful of, of every contributor and just all, is always speaking highly of his team and I love it he's it's an aspirational leader uh, he he is an aspirational leader um, yeah. Speaking um, of, uh, oh, go ahead, Max. Oh, I just want to say, just fellas, I want to be a little bit conscious of time. I have a hard stop at two. Just want to make sure we're on that. Yeah, no worries. Um, just a quick question, Jason. Um, on the, you know, speaking of talking about like Miyazaki, do you, <laughs> and other things that have been like a common occurrence in, in Dark Souls with me, do you feel that, um, the DLC could have been handled a little differently. Cause like, I don't have an issue with the DLC as a whole, but accessing the DLC was a very big challenge. And I'm, I don't even know how the first people found out 
how to access yeah. that DLC. So I was curious about your yeah, experience. Yeah, it's incredibly with that. arcane. The <laughs> the the sequence of events of like Dusk's Crown and then like you know going behind. I, I, am I? I can't remember if I'm if I have it right. Like I think you have to go completely around to the back of the Hydra. Of, right. Darkroot Basin, mm-hmm. all the way to the back of the lake, and there's an item like hidden back there. And then you have to speak to Dusk of Ulysseal, and then you have to, mm-hmm. and then you have to go. Did they back kill the Iron that. Golem in the Crystal Archives. And, yes, and that was like that, that one. I think was the most because those other things are like well, they're kind of in the area of where you enter the DLC. So fair enough. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but having to go ki- kill one randomly occurring Crystal Golem, I. Who knows? Maybe it's just a mischievous kind of like you're not going to figure this out, and um, you, you're you're creating a con. It's 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 almost like a it's almost a PR stunt. I hate to you know as much of a cheerleader as I am for for these games and for <laughs> from software. It's like as somebody who runs a company, and like you're always thinking of like how do you get people to talk about your product, how do you get... And one way of getting them to talk about it is just making it really difficult to understand. <laughs> and, uh, and, <laughs> you force, I, and you force people to like help each other out and it becomes a talking point. And then it, you're a trending topic on Twitter because of the DLC just came out and nobody knows how to get into it. And so right. everybody's like going in and Googling like how to enter DLC. And um, But that's like, obviously I'm attributing sort of, you know, evil genius kind of intent it, it, who knows i mean obviously none of us none of us know it and feels, if you asked him you'd probably this? just be very apologetic and then it would just be like a awkward silence and and then you, you would never get to the bottom of it, and, uh, it, well, it just it just felt very strange because yeah. it was like it if it were like baked into the game it would that that's totally a plausible like argument, but the fact that you had to go out of your way, pay ten to twenty dollars for this DLC, and it was like I I've told the story to Max before. <laughs> Long story short, I had re- I refunded my money. I got PlayStation to refund my money because I was like this DLC is busted. Like I just don't know what I'm doing with it, <laughs> and they did, and they were yeah, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, sure what? Pro- so I mean, I just thought it was kind of an interesting. It's always an interesting <laughs> talking point seeing how people approach the notorious of the abyss DLC. Yeah. Yeah, so, I somebody had to explain oh. it to me. I had no I had no idea. Or I It feels a lot like point and click adventure game kind of logic to try to get to that point. Like Yes, yeah. so you have to throw the chicken at the right. apple in the tree so that the apple falls down and lands on mm-hmm. the head of a gnome. Exactly. Gnome off yeah. It's a very yeah, very uh, Monkey's Island kind of. Uh, yeah, there, there doesn't feel to be any like co- consistent like like the idea of freeing someone who's from that makes sense. But what is this other random golem that has this weird globe that you have to kill before it punches it or something like you're, that? Or, yeah, you're not going to make sense of it because if not. you it, it's weird because that, that golem there doesn't do anything. The first thing it will do before it fights you is punch that globe and break it. It was it has no other objective other than to hit that globe, and then it will turn to fight you. And it's like, why? <laughs> like, there has to be a reason for this. <laughs> you but, look at who I knows. Mean, this is the same game that has items like the pendant, right? The pendant doesn't do anything and has just tortured people for forever. Like, I think occasionally <laughs> it's a red know, go, herring. Yes. Yeah. The uh, the team yeah, just kind of has a sense of humor. Decidedly, and this might be part of it. <laughs> 
because so much of it, yeah, well, so many of what? the choices are so intentional mm-hmm. that yeah. it it's it's a it's a bit of a bait. You know, it, it, yeah, it's like this is meaningful too, and it's really not. But <laughs> got but they got gotcha. you. They got gotcha. you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be, have been gotten because it is it has introduced many much roaming and spectacle on the world itself, but. uh but just in the interest of time, I know, like, I don't think there's a limit to how long we could just sit here and, you know, praise <laughs> praise this game, as we we all will likely just continue to do throughout the course of our lives. Um, um, I would be remiss if I didn't want to stop and give uh, Jason a chance to tell everyone a little bit about Tune and Fairweather and some of the some of the projects that he's brought forward that are just that exist so perfectly parallel to you know the joy that we experience while we're we're. Um, playing Dark Souls. There's been a lot of projects uh, focused around that Tune and Fairweather that are focused on, you know, the works of From Software, but also some very, just very strong projects that are, you know, not Souls uh, tangential at all, but just still invoke such a strong uh, passion and a sense of wonder from what exposure I've had to them. So, uh, Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about Tune and Fairweather, and then we can continue to compound on this throughout the the course of our show. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I mean, we have we have the privilege of working together on um, you know making sure that those books not only get made but also get into people's hands, and that is a Dark Souls level difficulty um, <laughs> there. And and we have and a lot of people have the luxury of that happening invisibly uh, behind the scenes. But and Michael, of course, you're the reason how a lot of that. Um, the you know the machinations actually happen to for that to occur, and so I mean thanks for your contribution to what we do. But in terms of the books, I it's it's a bit of a happy accident that the very first project ended up being you died. You know, I Keza and I had written that book and released it in 2015, and it made a very small uh, splash, and you know. And there wasn't, there weren't many ripples uh, from it. It was, you know, it was a very humble paperback release. And I had, it It just left a little, a feeling of unfinished business for me. I had, I had imagined, you know, because you love a game so much, you want to make an offering back that feels commensurate with what you were given. There's like a natural aspect of human psychology, this reciprocity of when someone smiles at you, we have, we smile back like instinctively without thinking about it. And, and so when someone gives you like an incredible gift, which I feel like I was given by, by Miyazaki and his, and his team in this game that had captivated me so much, I wanted to give something back that felt in my own domain like as grand as the thing I had been given. And so I wanted to, I had imagined a book that was a work of art in itself, you know. Uh, and and what we ended up producing with our original publisher was not that. And and that's not a, that's not a swipe at, at Backpage. I'm so thankful that they brought the book out, but they just had a different vision for it. And they, they wanted something that was cheap and cheerful, as they say over here. And, you know, it, it cost $9.99. And, and, but I had something different in mind all the way through. I imagined an art object and I was like, fans will just love this. And, and so, but 
I'm so thankful that we had different like visions of what it could be because they hadn't released a hardcover version. And in the publishing trade, there's you know, this thing called rights. Where you have rights to the paperback, you have rights to the audiobook. Every different version of a, of a piece of uh, intellectual property has different rights attached. And so I had the inspiration to ask them if I could buy the hardcover rights and make that version of the book that, that mm. didn't exist yet. And so they very generously, um, you know, they sold me those rights at like a really paltry sum, you know, to, um, just as a, as a good faith gesture to let me, um, you know, take my own turn at doing something creative with, with that book. And, and so you died ended up becoming the first uh, book that tuna fairweather released. And, and then you know, it's, it's just very natural to like, ah, that was, that was fun. Gosh, but there's these other great games and we haven't done a bloodborne book and wouldn't it be fun? Like, what would that look like? And of, of course now you know, we've released blood echoes and, and so You've taken, you know, Shimhawk, you know, one of my favorite artists, not even just a fan artist, but favorite artists, you know, full stop, uh, like taking his incredible art and reimagining it as like this painting, this blood smear watercolor painting style. And, and just each project has some incredibly fun, creative, playful um, element to it. I feel like... Um, I feel a real kinship with, uh, with Miyazaki. Uh, like I mentioned earlier that I just, I feel very aligned with him in terms of his values, um, his, his level of restraint His there's like a real, there's such a confidence to it, but it's also, it has that Japanese kind of like, if I could, you know, speak in some cultural generalizations, but it, there's, there is a kind of demure Japanese kind of shyness and non-ostentation, non-ostentatious. It's like not, he's not a flashy, he's not a Cliff Blazinski, that classical kind of showman of old. He's like the, you know, the Barnum and Bailey kind of, you know, showman. He's like going to get you to, he's going to make all the big, you know, grand statements and, and get mm -hmm. you in the door into the big top. It's like Miyazaki's very quiet and it's like you're going to lean forward and you see his personality. You know he's so deeply woven into the games because he mirrors them in a lot of ways. Like you, he speaks very softly and uh, confidently, but softly, and you lean forward to hear what he has to say. His games communicate their themes in a very subtle way and you lean forward as a result to hear them better. And, and, and I feel like our books, you know, I aspire to that same level of creating very confident designs and very bold designs, but, but not over cluttering them. And I get to work with Andrew, my former colleague at edge magazine uh, from that, that time when I was working there and living in the UK and I always loved Andrew's design. That's what drew me to edge. And so I have, it's just been the joy of my life really um, to, to get to find other creative people to work alongside, to collaborate with, and in the case of Miyazaki and Dark Souls, to be inspired by. And it's, it's just been a, there's, it's been a very virtuous experience of radiating 
like inspiration back and forth. And, and I feel like everybody has been made, their lives have been made more full um, by experiencing his games. And it's raised the bar of what I expect from what I can do creatively. And, and this is my livelihood now. And, and so it's, it's an opportunity to, to offer something to the world and, and, and hopefully be able to do it for a long time. It's, it always feels like an uphill challenge. You know, there's running a business as you see firsthand behind the scenes, Michael is it's tough graft. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't come easy and, and, um, takes a lot of, a lot of work and a lot of problem solving, but like so incredibly fun. And so, yeah, we just, um, uh, like I, I get to go to Italy next Monday uh, to do press checks for a book of artwork of like old abandoned you know villas and factories and, um, and just this beautiful opulent like large um, format coffee table book like with all this gorgeous photography and of ruined architecture and yeah that's not a soul's book you know even though we've done a lot of books of about from software titles, but I feel like it's so, like, if I put that like in front of Miyazaki, he would just get it instantly. He's like, Oh yes. A bit like the ruins and the mystery and the fragmentary, like the way that all of the, the beauty there is in fragments and you have to assemb assemble them in your imagination and to fully appreciate them. And there's this melancholy quality to it because it, it confronts you. It's the built world confronting you with your own mortality and your, the transience um, of all things. There's even, there's a quote from a Latin mass on the back of the book. Um, but the, in, in Latin, the, the Pope, when he does this recitation, he'll say, sick transit, gloria mundi, thus passes the glory of the world. And it's just a, it's a beautiful poetic um, comment on, the fact that that all beautiful things, you know, have a have a, a limited time, you know, in their splendor, and but then you also appreciate them, you know, in their decay and in their absence, and then their eventual absence. And so, um, we get to make this beautiful book that might sell fifty copies. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll see how see how it goes. Um, it's it's all an experiment, but it's an experiment that's offered with, with an, a huge amount of love. And um, it is in the same way that I feel like I see the person of Hidetaka Miyazaki reflected in, in the games that he makes. Um, it, it feels very personal, the, the books that each one is, is a project that I was excited about. And, and they are reflections of me and the things I care about as well. So it's, um, I feel like it's the, it's creativity and commerce um, done in a way that that I feel is is respectful of the people who are hopefully you know buying the books or in the case of Max you know just being endlessly supplied with gift gifted copies <laughs> from you, Michael. Um, I'm kidding, 
But shout out to Michael. Yeah. He's definitely one of my biggest sponsors. <laughs> there you go. You GameStop <laughs> merging at last. Yeah. Um, oh no, stop. The no, two big no ones. One, no one wanted this. <laughs> Did you just tell me to stop with like after I mentioned, uh, mentioned GameStop? Um, yeah. It's but I mean I that was like such a uh a rambling tangent. Um, you just said talk about Tuna Fairweather, and then I I just started rambling for five minutes. But um, yeah, it's it's an absolute blast, and we've done a lot of From Software uh, books about From Software games. We'll do more. Uh, it's you know it's it's nice to make something that people love and make something that celebrates a, a really shared you know passion. Um, and it's, it's not just because of the economics and because people are more likely to buy something if it's about a game they love. It's, it just feels good to like, we're so fragmented and like, I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to feel isolated from other people. And when you can rally around something that a lot of people love, like that's that's a moment that's very rare and special, <laughs> frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people, yeah, people love the the culture war and they and they love arguing on social media and and I don't have a lot of time for for that kind of energy. I I <laughs> I like, like we have such a small amount of time. Like, let's find things that we all care about and like this podcast conversation. We could spend all of our time talking about the things that we have in common and the things that we that we share and the things that are worthy of appreciation and and so it's just to me that is a life well lived and that's like a work day well worked (laughs) and uh (laughs) and there you go yeah i know max um i know that you gotta jump off but um kind of a, a rare rare form for the for the totality of our our show if you need to to jump off uh if you want to give any final thoughts or words before you go, and then I'll close it up on our end. Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us, Jason. Just, you know, it's really, I think the positivity of this this podcast has been Michael and I deciding to really sit down and talk about games that both of us really feel passionately about and sort of feed off that and, and sort of, you know, through each other's, like, individual experiences with them, gain a deeper appreciation for the things that we love. So... I, you know, when you talk about why it's such a joy to do this with Tune and Fairweather, like I, I feel that immensely. So thank you very much for taking the time and, and talking with us today. Pleasure's all mine, genuinely. And uh, as always, cool. uh, reminder that uh, Cheers of the Kingdom is still mid. Good night, everybody. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay, bye. He Max. chose violence. <laughs> <laughs> always, but. Uh... That, I mean, that's Max. So, like I said, rare form for the episode, but I, I don't want us to stop there because, like, I, I do want to just, like, for people who are listening, um, and I, Jason's still on here with me, um, you know, that's a, it's funny because when you talk about, like, when Max was just talking about the experience there and you, you talk about your shared experiences with, in respect to what From Software has brought to the table and in terms of Miyazaki, like, that, and, Maybe this might be uh, unintentional, but like the way that you felt about that is how I felt about 
you died whenever I read it for the first time before I'd even had any connection with you in any capacity. I know that we work together on a daily basis, but like, as I was reading, you died. I had thought like this, this person, these perspectives, this is how I feel like this is like the amalgamation of everything that's just floating in the ether about how I feel about this game. Someone has managed to, to put their bottle up, capture that lightning and then spew it on a page that is just perfectly like summed up in in my feelings so like this is why i don't i don't ever view i know that in in no capacity is uh you died an official from software product but in my mind it exists tangentially to dark souls like you can't i feel like every copy of dark souls should come bundled with <laughs> with you died <laughs> uh the the addition of tuna fairweather because it just perfectly focused it doesn't tell anyone how to feel like the game does it doesn't uh, push you in any one direction. It focuses and gives a narrow view of, of, of just people's appreciation of just such a beautiful project. And if you're out there and you're listening, um, just pivot to your phone or something and just go to the website and buy a copy of this book like right now. Like it's a, you can get a copy on sale before they sell out. I think it's like 60 euro or, you know, maybe a little yeah. bit more at USD, but yeah, it's a, it's an investment worth it. I've bought but... I have bought this this book for so many of my friends. I have like five copies of this book myself. I own every version of this book that exists, unless there's one that Jason isn't telling me about. But it is just in every way, it feels like you are the conversation that we had today. It feels like you were having that conversation with a close friend while you're reading it from from front to end with you and with Keza. Like both of them are just yeah. the you feel such a, a strong kindredship in that that shared mm -hmm. experience that you know is founded in that minimalistic nature that we talked about. So um, it is just fantastic. I cannot recommend you died uh, enough as a, as a book. Thank you so, so much. Um, but on the other side of the coin, where we said we wouldn't talk about it. The I guess it, it technically is already released, but still yet to be shipped in the U.S. There's Abyssal Archive. You mentioned Loki. Um, a bit of, a bit more on the pricey side, but in yeah. in terms, you're actually getting two books <laughs> out of it. So in, in in a way, it's kind of similarly priced. Yeah, um, it's two books and the companion map, um, which is its own. It's in its own binder and it folds out of its like its own custom binder. So I, I felt like I wanted to immortalize the world of Lordran. Um, it's a key, it's a key part of the set. It's not, it's not meant to be separated from the books. It fits in the slipcase. If you took out the map and like ripped it out and put it on your wall, like a poster and then threw the binder away, you know, there'd be a missing, there'd be a gap in the, <laughs> in the uh, case, you know, where that map is to live. And that's intentional um, because like I feel like a celebration of the world, like a beautiful map that's like a perfect representation is it really is an homage to the game and, and Judson Cowan, like we were able to work with him to bring to life um Lordran on in on the page. And uh and so yeah, it is our our books are we make them with a no expenses spared kind of mentality because we want to create the best thing we possibly can. And so that means that we, we ask you know, a lot um, in terms of the asking price. Um, we're, we are sensitive to that and, and, you know, 
people sometimes apologize for like, oh, I can only, you know, afford to grab you died, you know, this month, then I've got to wait, you know, a while to get the next one. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, you don't have to apologize. Like, <laughs> you know, I have to save up when I, you know, there's lots of, you know, I mean, the games, you know, world is is full of like you know pricey collectibles and you know deluxe edition sets and and all these things are expensive and you know and funds are you know are always tight you know regardless of who you are we're not tech billionaires you know we uh you know we're we're we save you know we have a jar like we're like okay i want that i want that tears of the kingdom you know deluxe set i'm gonna like you know throw my change in there and yeah. save it up and and so i can splurge on that down the road and but uh but that's you know there's always i feel like there's always disposable uh cheap stuff out there um and i don't even say that really disparagingly i mean there's like there's a there's a beauty to even just like almost like comic books like just pulp you know that kind of idea of like the pulp fiction and and like ratty paperbacks that um i have an affection for that kind of low low brow sort of like physical printed good but i just i wish there were more things at the at the high end to balance out in terms of books and and so i have you know publishers that i'm really inspired by and they're you know they're getting the rights to, you know, do a Stephen King book and a really high-end binding and things like that. And they've got the literary world covered and, you know, I don't really need to do the, you know, get another public domain, you know, like HP Lovecraft, right. like, you know, book <laughs> out there. Yeah, the world has a million of those, but I feel like some of these video games um, that I love, uh, are worthy of being immortalized in a in a package that is not like cheap and plastic and you know made at the at the lowest possible expense like i I love that we get to work with you know high end like italian artisans you know um who make just incredibly beautiful objects and are incredibly skilled at at making these art books with the most lavish bindings and materials. And, and so that's what, that's what we're going to do is just try to create objects of immense beauty. And, um, yeah. And we'll, uh, see how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, don't sell yourself short. Like I, I work, obviously I work tangentially with, you know, Tune and Fairweather every day. I, I shouldn't even say tangentially. I work with Tune and Fairweather every day and I still get excited like whenever I look at Abyssal Archives on my bookshelf or You Died on like all six copies of You Died they are just sitting on my bookshelf. Like that stuff, it, it excites me to see and even more so like it, it would still excite me even if I wasn't a part of it every day just because me of too. how much love yeah. and care Tune and Fairweather puts into, into these like these priceless books. Like I know that, you know, a year, two years, five years down the road, that book likely will have no more value than it did the day that I bought it. But to me, like, it's just, it means so much to, you know, have someone out there have, like you said before, mortalize those thoughts and feelings into that. And for me to own a little piece of that history, um, 
so I hope that other people out there, you know, see that too. I'll I'll take photos of like the books and stuff and put them in our Discord. You can yeah. click the link down below. That'd be cool. Um, so that way people can can see them. Um, and I'll I'll post the website link and all that type of stuff. So if you're listening and you want to see some of these things, I'll just put them in there so you can see them. I'll take some additional photos slipping through them, and I'll also put uh, in the episode link to this um, for this episode. I'll put the link to the Tuna Fairweather Discord. Very active, you know, a couple thousand people in there that just are just book lovers. You know, some yeah. of them love books. Some of them love Dark Souls games. Some of them just love chatting about the things that we talk about day in and day out. So, you know, it's just, it's cool to just be a part of this community. It's cool to, you know, help foster it. It's cool to just exist in it. And I feel that exact same way about just Dark Souls in general. I like being in the world. I like building the community for it. I like talking about it. Like, it's cool just that all these things have like these similar motifs that have just helped build into just one rolling ball that I'm a part of down this, <laughs> the hill of life. So yeah, it does attract, a lot of fun. It attracts a very, <laughs> a certain kind of obsessive temperament who just very curious, creative, uh, obsessive, uh, like interesting people. It, it's, I, I feel like all the people who, are drawn into the orbit of this game, like reflect some of the the most enjoyable qualities and, and admirable qualities of, of the thing itself. And so I, I, you see that in the discord in the tuna fair weather discord. And I'm like, as a, I'm a creator uh, and a founder, but I'm also a participant and a, and just a like proud spectator of like, I <laughs> like my, older brother got remarried um, a couple of years ago and um, it brought where, you know, me and all my siblings were a bit older. And so it was like actually rare to have a a wedding. Like we'd kind of all gone through the weddings and stage of our lives and thought that was done. And there's, you know, this, this unexpected, but like very joyful, like gathering of all the family um, for that wedding a couple of years ago and in St. Augustine, Florida. And, um, and I saw my parents, you know, in one of the family photos, you know, I was just observing this moment and they were, you know, surrounded by all of these people that were, they were connected to and had like created this amazing community just through this extended family and their kids and their grandkids. And, and, and I could tell they were just so deeply, like, they felt like so proud of like being a part of, they literally, you know, created, you know, um, <laughs> they got that, you know, just got that, that moving. And, um, and so they're, they're participants, but they're also like, almost like stepping back and just appreciating like, wow, look, like we had these kids and then they had kids and and now it's this big party and all these like amazing people. And, and so I feel that same way, um, not to be too grandiose about it, but even just a few years into the life of Tune and Fairweather, I feel like there's this amazing group of people who uh, enjoy the books and they're in the Discord. And I just sit back and I'm like, man, I I don't feel like I can I can take us a, a bit of credit for getting this going, <laughs> but like, how cool that all these like such quality people are like showing up here and. Um, it's just, yeah, I feel like it's a, like a, a flywheel of like positivity breeds more positivity and, um, really like curious, you know, 
nerdy tendencies of like, you know, wanting <laughs> to figure out how books are made breeds more, you know, curious nerdy tendencies and in the you know best possible way. And uh, so it's, it's a delight. It's, um, I feel like it's something positive. It's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, I've, I've had amazing, I feel like I've had more dream jobs than anybody is entitled to in one lifetime. <laughs> I've gotten to, you know, I started as working for a music magazine and interviewing artists I loved and, um, you know, flying around and interviewing Jack White and the White Stripes and uh, filmmakers and Christopher Guest and Scarlett Johansson and um, different creatives who are of like a really high caliber. And then I got to work in game journalism and, you know, writing for edge and interviewing Miyazaki and Todd Howard and like Kojima and all these legends. Neil Druckmann. <laughs> oh, and like, yeah, sitting with Neil Druckmann and Bruce Straley and some of the cast of, of last of us and, and just doing one of the first like deep dive interviews into that game, like just days before release. And, and I, it's just a charmed life. And I got to work for Riot Games, you know, maker of League of Legends and and just a studio at the height of their, like, just so much amazing artistic creativity and they're, like, making animations and short films and mang, like, you know, anime. And then they're running, you know, a, just on the side, they're like, oh, and just running, like, the World Series of Gaming, you know, kind of equivalent <laughs> of like, the World Cup of Gaming, where it's a, every year is a tournament going from different cities and having, like, you know, a final in the Mercedes-Benz Arena in Berlin and... Um, <laughs> Casually, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, just the kind of stuff you do as a video game, just the sort of little stuff you do as a video game company. And I, like, loved that ambition, and that was another dream job, and... But nothing, nothing compares to Tune and Fairweather in terms of like just feeling like it is. It's it's the sum total of all of the experience that I've built up and all of the apprenticeship of of life and in writing and career and uh, a career in create in the creative field. And um, this is my bit that I I get to give back and you know put my stamp on and that stamp just happens to be two snakes you know intertwining and um who give the name to the company um and uh yeah i'm proud of proud of what we do and i don't think it's that is a that is a rare gift not everybody gets to be i have a lot of respect for people who clock in and clock out and just give a give an honest do an honest day's work and and then get on with their life but it's uh i'm i'm among the most fortunate i feel to to get to like have such a a thin membrane you know between the work and the play and um it's yeah i hope i get to to do it for a long long time um it would be it would be very tough to to go back to nine to five after <laughs> after this time of creative <laughs> fulfillment. Um, uh, so I'm I, I don't take a, I don't take a single every new book that we get to release. I don't take a single uh, day or project for granted. It's uh, it's all a gift. 
Yeah, it's it is funny though, because like just being able to see behind the scenes of some of the things that Tune and Fairweather is doing, and I say some because there is a lot of things I just don't know and I'm not involved in, and you know I'm, I'll be heads down in logistics or, or whatever. But the sentiment you just described about how you know how lucky you feel and how fortunate you are, it all translates. You know, because there's not there's not a single drop of passion that, like, whenever I'm holding like the the brick of Abyssal Archive, like this this <laughs> massive clamshell, like it is just dripping with creativity and passion, like through every single corner and edge and glare of light that shines off of some mm. little piece of foil that's that's stamped onto it, and you know none of that is lost on your on your fans none of that is lost on anyone so we we all appreciate it i know that there's some fans of of your guys is lingering in our discord that aren't in yours and um you know hopefully more people come to you know see these things because these are just these are all projects that are that mean a lot to me and they're all projects that i think the community as a whole you know as they start to they continually latch on to day in and day out have just such a you know a reverent appreciation for and you know from from the inside of the community to the outside jason just thank you like it is just such a pleasure to to be able to see these things let alone be a part of it so um i i appreciate the the product i appreciate the passion and i appreciate you coming on to talk about it it's 100 percent a joy um and and a privilege uh, all of it and the podcasts um getting to to share the books with an appreciative audience and um yeah i mean if you're making something it's sharing it is so much of the there's like a pleasure in making it but then there's also just a pleasure in it being received by a really like attentive audience who like you learn about it through the the eyes of the people who are appreciating the books. It's not just an ego thing of like, I love people singing the praises of this object. It's, it's maybe like a little peek inside the experience of like, of what if Miyazaki like, you know, reads a review of one of his games and he's like, Oh wow, that's interesting. I, I made, I, you know, helped lead this team that made this game and I didn't even pick up on this little aspect of it. I mean, in a, in a perfect world, the critic isn't just some high and mighty, you know, pedant who's, you know, just on a soapbox, you know, trying to look, you know, important. It's somebody, I feel like a critic at their, in the like most virtuous, like mode is somebody who is illuminating a piece of work and seeing things in it that looking deeply focus in a focused way and appreciating it and illuminating it, bringing insight, new insight into a piece of work where even the creator, um, they see things that a creator wouldn't have the objectivity, you know, the old, you know, saying about like it just being too close to certain something, something you're making, you're sometimes you're just too close. You can't see it objectively. And so, uh, so I love, I love hearing people chatting about our work. I learn about like, Oh, that's a, that's a cool insight. Like we're doing that reading club. Um, you know, one of the most active members in the discord community, Niels, whose uh, handle is copper coin. Uh, he is, he's leading a, a reading calling the reading circle, like discussing the Epicureans, uh, our work of our one work of fiction that we've released so far. 
and I'm learning all these cool things about the book, even though I, you know, helped, I didn't write it. I, you know, we published it and I edited it and, you know, read it numerous times before publication. And, but I'm finding out all these cool things just through others' observations. And so that's the beauty. That's the beauty of sharing it is that it allows you to, you get to see it through others' eyes. And, and then hopefully that helps us continually improve because you're always learning, like, what do people like? What do, you know, what what resonates and and you try to take that on board and and then come out even with even better <laughs> something even better the next time around but we have um, there's stuff in the works that we haven't gotten to to trumpet yet and it's ticking away in the background and and it's it's so fun and exciting to to know that there's exciting stuff to share in the in the weeks and months to come. So definitely, definitely stay tuned. Um, Cause there's some, there's some fun stuff on the way. You've got, you've got your discord community on like, like a crack line. Like they're all just like <laughs> lined up for the next hit. Like it is, they really are. And I don't, I'm not trying to be reductive to the community cause they're all great folks there. Like you had mentioned, but like even, even me, like I might be one project or two projects ahead on what's coming, but even me, I'm like, I wonder what's next. Like, because <laughs> there's just such a profound appreciation for, you know, because they, they see a finished product that is, is in mid production. I see a theoretical idea, uh, before it hits that product line and then down and you know, what, what keeps me up at night is wondering what's in the back of your head churning. Cause I'm just like, I know it's just going to keep getting better. Cause it, it, there's been just an exponential like increase. And in, I don't, I don't want to say quality. I should say, say creativity. Cause like you guys are just tuning fair weather. It's so obvious, like what they've, what you've learned mm. uh, from yeah. you know, producing along the way. And not yeah. uh, again, not to be reductive to things of the past cause they're equally gorgeous and they're unright, but like you got to meet each product where it is, you know, 10 years from now when you're, you're a thriving, booming, biggest book company in the, in the industry, uh, you know, you'll look back at those and be like, look at all we've done, you know? So it's, it's just nice really cool to, yeah. to, you know, be in the ground, ground floor there. It's, it's nice to, you don't, there's never any need to like apologize or write off your earlier works like you know i i love that you died it's the i guess it's part of the benefit of starting a company like later in life in my 40s uh, after the end of like a very extended apprenticeship of you know working other jobs and in related fields and print publishing and bringing pulling all those strands together um but it it means it also means i get to to start with a very strong like first entry because you know working with andrew our designer he's you know got decades of experience under his belt and i've i bring my own you know diverse experience and so we were able to create something really special and you died um but it also it doesn't mean that we can't improve <laughs> and and I always want yeah, to be for sure. constantly improving and 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 I think that's one of the fun things about about print is it is a kind of architecture and there's a, it feels like an infinite range of options of different materials you can use different ways you can the structure it has the same structure that's existed for thousands the codex structure of like 
combining, you know, leaves of paper together into this shape to re- record the printed word. Um, and yet there's still such an incredible diversity of ways, like even just within that same form that you can like create different feelings through different textures of paper and different combinations of colors. And it's so tactile. And uh, so every project I'm like, oh, let's, I want to do a different kind of material just to have a different, because every single kind of material has a different, like you experience it differently. And so, um, and Mm. I just want to, I just want to like blow the lid on like, on so many secrets (laughs) of like, because it would just be such an easy segue into how that, is how that is already like manifesting and kind of plans for upcoming stuff and and cool yeah. fun See. things we're experimenting with and but I do, I I want to keep the surprise there so we'll just well, this, this is where now. you benefit from me working with you is because I'm not going to be like any secrets or anything like that cuz <laughs> then then on, on Monday meeting I'm going to get my hand slapped so, <laughs> so you you benefit from that cuz I'm sure you get that uh question on the other things that you've been a part of so but um, no i mean there's no there's there's no slapping of (laughs) of any hands there's there's if there's any slapping it's just it's a high five of appreciation because uh (laughs) like i appreciate you um like picking up the the work that that we're doing and um in this format and sharing it with with your audience and that that means the world so I don't, I don't take it for granted and I don't feel like it's, I mean, just because we work together, I don't feel like there's any favor owed. It feels, it still feels very generous. And, um, so it's awesome. Like it's, it's fun to, fun to get to have, have this sort of conversation and then jump back in. It's been a while since I've, I've jumped (laughs) cannonballed back into thinking about Dark Souls and aside from working on, on pu- the publishing of Abyssal Archive, obviously you're seeing the images, and but the game mm-hmm. itself, you know, where the the magic, you know, the, really the source of of all of that uh, creativity and inspiration. It's it's fun to go back to the source and drink out of the fountain again after a little while away. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will never not want to go back. So I think I've I've <laughs> actually is I've. I don't even know how many times I've played through Dark Souls with different characters and different runs, but like even you died, I've read through it probably three times already. Just like, and I'll pick up and reread different chapters and things like that. Cause again, like I, I cannot stress enough how much it's, it is not a euphemism. It is not an overstatement how much it feels like I'm walking through, especially now that I know you and I talk to you on a regular basis, how much it feels like you and I are just like walking through Lordran with like my arm around your shoulder <laughs> being like, dude, look at that. Like it feels that way yeah, when I read this book, yeah. you know? So it's, there, there is such a strong sense of like community companionship there that like I think everyone listening, if like if you like Dark Souls, give it a chance. Like find it, find a copy of it, and you know to read it. Especially get it, grab it on a sale. It's just so awesome. Um, but yeah. So um, that being said, I won't, I won't keep you any longer. I know we've been going for a while, but check out, check out the Tune and Fairweather website, tuneandfairweather.com. All one word, no spaces. Tuneandfairweather.com, and that'll take you. To where you can look at all the books that'll take you to where you can look at some of the other uh, non-souls related projects which are equally if not some more impressive in a lot of ways modern ruins looks great epicureans is 
a scary book, but it is awesome. <laughs> I don't even know it. It's very, it's, I guess it's not scary, but it's, I liken it to like The Last of Us in a lot of ways to yeah. where it's like, yeah. it's such a dark, harrowing tale, but there's such a strong, uplifting message like deeply yep. embedded in it. Um, so definitely, you know, there's so, there's a lot of like very, there's, Tuna Fairweather is multifaceted in in the art sense and the book sense and just in the in the sense that if you come to that website there will be something for you there, especially if you're a Souls fan. So uh, definitely check it out and then join the Tuna Fairweather Discord that's in the link down below. If you're a Souls fan, join the post game content Discord that's in the link down below. And um, yeah, like I won't I won't belabor the the point on the other subjects, but buy a book and then uh, maybe if you're lucky post-game content will do a giveaway of a copy of you died in the discord just kidding we're doing we're doing it we're doing a giveaway so if you stuck around this long jump in the discord there'll be a channel where you can come in and uh just punch an emoji and then you'll just be entered in for the a copy of uh you died so um something loyal loyal to our audience if you found this episode i won't be shouting that out in other discords because i don't want you know the the community flock to come in and the community flock to leave, but yeah, definitely want to to it. be in there to do. Uh, to we we just want to share the the passion, like we want to share this game. There's no sense that someone out there shouldn't uh, benefit from having an awesome copy of this book. So, but uh, once again, Jason, I definitely appreciate it, and it's been awesome and uh, talking about the game in this capacity. Um, and I'm sure that we'll continue down in the future to <laughs> to reverently discuss it. So, well, thanks, thanks to you, and thanks to our our dearly departed uh, Max, uh, <laughs> who uh, who bowed out very gracefully. But um, yeah, what a fun conversation! I mean, that was I. It's hard to I can't recall a, a three hour conversation that that felt uh, that quick. Um, it's. Um, it's a sign of getting immersed and, and getting into flow of just really enjoyable conversation that the time can fly so quickly. So uh, thanks for hosting the conversation. Of course. And uh, for everyone out there, thanks for uh, tuning in and we'll see you next month for another post game content. Mm-hmm.